Well, hello and welcome to V Radio, uh, brought to you by me, also known as Neil, and sometimes I go by V. But anyway, today we're going to have Senator Mike Gravel on the show. I'm not sure exactly where my co-host disappeared to again, probably somewhere in Europe. Um, But uh, anyway, um, I'm looking forward to today's show. We're going to be talking about uh, direct democracy and its possibilities for um, the government here in the United States. We're going to be talking about the possibility, basically all the different possibilities that may come up with uh, Senator Gravel's um, candidacy for presidency um, and for the Libertarian nomination. Um, And uh, with any luck, um, today is also Senator Mike Gravel's birthday. And um, with any luck, I'll be able to let some, you know, Senator Gravel's fans on to wish him a happy birthday. And um, that's what I got planned for you today. So Senator Gravel's not going to be on for about another half hour or so. Um, I'm planning on playing a little bit of music and different stuff that's associated with it. So um, just bear with me here, guys, and uh, pretty soon we'll have Senator Gravel here on the air. So shouting out to all the people I'm broadcasting to today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And um, so now I'm going to start us off with a little bit of Megadeth, Symphony of Destruction. Thank you. 
Sorry about teasing you at the beginning of that other song. <laughs> I'm never fast enough on the draw for stopping my music. But anyway, um, it's good to have uh, all those people coming over from the Senator Gravel campaign. Um, and uh, i got the book here once again. I'm going to be playing a few different things about this. Um, and more specifically, uh, about the subject of direct democracy and its possibilities for it being used here in the United States. Um, basically, what we're talking about here, for those of you who haven't heard, is that Senator Gravel has the idea that we should add um, an additional system to our government that would allow us, as American citizens, to be able to put forth referendums, basically um, citizen laws. They already do this in several states, and it would allow us to vote on our own laws. It doesn't remove the system of representative government. It just basically gives us a voice to be able to uh, do what we feel is right in our own government as well. And most, for the most part, it's something that's probably only going to happen when the government does something phenomenally stupid, like, say, for example, invade another country for no good reason. So I'm going to play uh, one of the videos about this directly from the uh, National Initiative for Democracy website. You guys want to check this out. It's nationalinitiative.us. Um, you can also just search NI4D on Google, and you can find it that way. But um, that's where you can sign the petition to either you know, for or against the concept of the national initiative. So let me uh, get this video booted up for you guys. For those of you who are listening on the audio, if you want to see the video portion of our show, you can go to freemedianetworks.com. I'm mostly going to be playing videos that are fairly compatible with both, so it won't really matter. But you know, there are some you know compelling components behind all this. So let me get this set up, and we'll be good to go. Give me just a moment, and I'll boot it up. Here we go. states and several other countries allow laws to be passed by initiatives 
the National Initiative is an act and an amendment to the Constitution that allows you to participate in the process of lawmaking. It gives you the same power as the government, the power to make laws. I bet you're thinking, but what if you make a bad law? What if you pass something totally unconstitutional? The Supreme Court is there for just this purpose. We too must abide by the court, and we are only another leg in the system of checks and balances. But what about Congress and the President? There's no change there. The National Initiative does not change the way the representational government works. Laws can still be passed by the government. The National Initiative does not replace this process. It adds to it, like adding a third house to Congress. We, the people, will have the same power as the Congress and the President. Is this fair? You decide. You'll have to, because Congress and the President won't do this for you. It's not in their interest. It gives you power. So if Congress isn't going to pass the national initiative in the law, and if the president won't sign it, how will the national initiative ever happen? The Constitution was created by the people, and if we created it, we can change it. So it's really that simple. We, the people, vote for the national initiative, and when a majority of Americans say yes, it becomes a part of the Constitution. It couldn't be simpler. So is that fair? You decide. You'll have to, because nobody else will decide this for you. The Democracy Foundation, a nonprofit organization, has an undertaking to register your decision. Named after the first constitutional convention, which took place in Philadelphia on September 17th, 1787, Philadelphia II is the Constitutional Convention of the People. On the National Initiative website, you can vote for or against the National Initiative. Sounds easy, doesn't it? After you vote, your vote will be manually verified to ensure accuracy. Still sound easy? It's an immense undertaking, but there's no other way. We hope you visit the National Initiative website and decide for yourself. www.ni4d.us Well, there you have it. Um, that movie was uh, one of the first ones that I watched about this. You can basically take a look at this website as was featured here, kind of pan around it, but... Uh, National Initiative for Democracy website. It's got a lot of information about it. Um, obviously, you can also read um, the book Citizen Power, and um, it details a lot about uh, what this is all about. It talks about you know the uh, the way that it would work, uh, the, the different involvements, like things like uh, the constitutional amendment that would be required to make it work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, basically. Uh, I think it's a good idea. I've thought about it a lot. And I agree with Senator Gravel's position on a lot of these issues, more specifically the ones about how representative government really, uh, really fails. Um, and uh, most of it just has to do with, this, as Mike Gravel points out in his book, that politicians tend to do what's in their best interest. They don't really necessarily do what's in the people's best interest. 
And what's worse is that they'll turn around and they'll tell you that they're going to do what, you know, what is in your best interest, and then they just do whatever's in their best interest. And you, there's nothing you can do about it until they're out of office. And in many cases, people have just, you know, as Senator Gravel put it, um, really it keeps us in what he called you know, like civic adolescence. Essentially, we don't pay attention to politics because we get to a point where we're either apathetic or we're just confident that our elected officials will do what's best for us, and so therefore we just let it go. Um, so I'm of the opinion, after looking at this pretty heavily and reading a lot of the book, that it's really a good idea, and I think that it could solve a lot of our problems, particularly when it comes to lobbyists, particularly when it comes to um, just the way that people buy and pay, you know, buy and sell our government. Um, and I honestly feel that um, I'm still, you know, we're still going to vote, you know, we're still going to try to get good representatives, but. You know, one of the reasons why the representatives in Switzerland, a country that has a very similar government, um, are so much better behaved is that they know that they can't get away with stupid things. That's really what it amounts to. And, I mean, for example, not long ago, and I've given this example a few times, but I'm going to give it again for those of us who uh, are, are new to the show, because I know we have a lot of new listeners here. Um, the issue is that, for example, in Switzerland, they deployed the Swiss army to uh, you know, basically participate in um, a police action in another country. Sound familiar? Yeah, it happens here all the time. The difference is, is that we didn't have to spend years and years of lobbying and begging and protesting to get out of that situation. The people in Switzerland were simply able to just put together a referendum and say, no, the troops are coming home, and they're coming home now, not later, now. And there's nothing they can do about it at that point. They have to go along with it. That, that's really it. It's you know, it's a situation where they have no choice because the people decide. Let me see if I can find a part of the book here. Um, Senator Gravel was nice enough to give me permission to read the book anytime I wanted on the air. So let me go ahead and see if I can get through Chapter 2 before I have to call Senator Gravel because Chapter 2 and Chapter 12 are apparently the most important chapters. More than half of American citizens have been making laws by initiative at the state and local levels of government for the last hundred years. A close examination of the people's legislative record in the 24 states and numerous local communities shows they have legislated responsibly and many times more so than their elected legislators, particularly on fiscal matters, and this was done without the deliberative legislative procedures that exist in all legislative bodies. Civil service, old age assistance, which is a precursor to Social Security, campaign finance reform, term limits, and women's rights to vote are a few examples of progressive legislation initiated by the people. These state initiative laws were enacted in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by populists and progressives, permitting voters to make laws at the state and local levels of government. Unfortunately, those reformers failed to enact deliberative legislative procedures or create an administrative agency to keep the people's legislative activities independent from the officialdom of representative government. As a result, state and local officials, jealous of their power, are able to thwart the people's legislative process and deny them the full and unfettered use of initiative laws. Well, looks like my co-host is calling in finally. Hold on just a second, and I'll get him on here. And then we'll get him on here, and he can comment as well. Hey, Jacob. Hello, Neil. It's me. Yeah, you're a little quiet, my friend. Might want to turn uh, up a little now? bit. 
How about now? Uh, talk again. Hello. Hello. That's a little better. Get a little louder. How about now? Uh, still got to be louder. I think it's probably just your uh, how close the mic is to your mouth. Probably isn't close enough. Uh, hello? Oh, no, that's perfect. Okay. okay. How you doing, Jacob? I'm doing fine, thank you. You looking forward to today's show? Yeah, yeah sure. Well, so those among our listeners who are new uh, to the show, this is Jacob Bodgers. He's my uh, co-host, um, and uh, he's originally from Holland, and he's got a lot of insight into how direct democracy works in Europe. Um, and uh, today, Jacob, you're going to get to meet Senator Gravel on the air. You looking forward to that? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, very much so. Yeah, me too. It'll be good to have him on the air today to talk about this. And I know that he's been anxious to, like, uh, or at least we've discussed it in passing, that, you know, the idea of um, talking to a, you know, an actual European about it so we can compare his ideas for direct democracy to what exactly was going on in Switzerland. Um, yeah. Um, he quotes Switzerland actually several times in the book, or more specifically talks about it, uh, Switzerland, several times in the book. Let me see if I can find the example. In the meantime, I mean, if you want to tell people, like, your personal experience with the, uh, the system of the referendum, I was telling a little bit about that story about uh, um, how at one point they deployed the Swiss Army and then the people were able to stop it. Can you explain that better? Uh, well, 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 right now the Swiss Army is deployed. Please keep it, issue. And they're going to stop it. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a referendum. Uh, I think it's long July, 2008, and uh, we'll see what happens. You're cutting in and out a little bit there, Jacob. Oh, oh okay. That's a little better. Uh, okay. The, the thing is, this uh, one is deployed in these two sections, and unfortunately, uh, there is a larger of these people who think it's a good idea. Um, so, why did it be possible in the first place? This is now uh, an outside of the movement to return to these roots. We try to progress, to progress and a lot of people are. So, well, by the way, you know, you just remember, you see something going to the United Nations. And that happened to the referendum. And it was on the side of the that was growing up there. And, uh, well, you say that it's about, not about big companies, they're their groups. Hey, Jacob. Yeah, your your sound is really bad. I'm talking to the people in the chat room. They can't hear you. You just, like, keep winking in and out. Um, see if there's anything you can do about it, because I definitely want people to hear your opinion of this. And um, it looks like, for some reason, the sound's not working. Um, How about now? That's better. Okay. Go ahead and continue. Thank you. 
individual rights uh, to provide the society, for example. But uh, in Switzerland, they still have a lot of food food office, and uh, people can there's still a lot of that super popular so, we'll uh, just see what happens with the clothes. It is a system of the system. It wasn't of a Hey, Jacob, um, do me a favor. Um, you may need to like play around with your sound settings because it's still doing the cutting in and out, and people can't make you out. Um, go ahead and uh, I'm gonna go ahead, go ahead and disconnect, and then um, send me a, a message in the in the uh, chat when you're ready to be reconnected. I don't know what's going on with your mic, but it just sounds like your your sound's just cutting in and out. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. See you when you're back. Okay. Um, sorry about that, folks. I don't know what's going on with Jacob's sound. We seem to have bad uh, bad luck with that. But uh, um, meanwhile, uh, somebody named B T A P B the B the Gip <laughs> wants to uh, um, wants to call. Um, do you have a Skype B the Ip whatever that is? <laughs> do you have Skype? If not, I'm going to have to give him a call-in number, I suppose. Let me uh, pull up the switchboard. Well, that's not good. Anyway, yeah, Skype's a voice program. I'll just have to pull up. You can call into the blog talk numbers. Let me bring it up. In the meantime, um, while I'm getting all this set up, I'm going to play another song for you guys. Pretty soon we're going to have Senator Gravel on here, so... Here we go.
That was Poker Face, Made in America. Um, you can look forward to seeing Poker Face at the Revolution March, which you can check out at revolutionmarch.com. In addition to our speaker, Ron Paul, we have confirmed that Senator Mike Gravel will also be in attendance of the Revolution March and will be speaking on the subject of foreign policy and essentially just trying to get out of wars that we don't belong in. Being as how he did what he did to stop the Vietnam War, I'd say that he's definitely an authority on that subject. It'll be good to hear from him. Just hoping I'll be able to go. Uh, up and coming now, we're going to have the Libertarian National Convention here coming up real soon, and we'll get to see exactly who the Libertarians choose to be their uh, standard bearer, as it were, in the upcoming election. I think if the Libertarians can get their stuff together, then they have a good chance of actually making a serious impact this election, mostly because of the fact that you know Ron Paul has gotten a lot of attention to libertarianism and libertarian ideals. So in a couple minutes here, I'm going to be calling Mike Gravel, and uh, with any luck, things will all go smoothly. Um, and uh, once again, thank you for tuning in um, here at revolutionbroadcasting.com and at freemedianetworks.com and blogtalkradio.com. I hope the blog talk show is going well. Um, I have a hard time like maintaining all that. I don't have my normal monitors up that I usually do. So once again, to blog talk listeners, in the event that there is ever a problem with the show that you're listening to on blog talk radio that is mine, uh, by all means, tune into the show at revolutionbroadcasting.com. And uh, there you will see what you need. Let's see if Jacob fixed his sound. Hold on just a moment, and I'll get that set up. Let's see if this sounds any better. Phone's ringing now. 
Hey, Jacob, talk. Hey, hey PT. Hey. Okay, you sound a little better. Sounds like your mouth is actually a little too close to the mic. Go ahead and uh, talk a little bit. We'll see if it's working good. Okay. okay. Um, well, I'll just talk uh, about the American situation. On a local level, there are a lot of examples of uh, direct democracy. I mean, I think that the governor of California was recalled in uh, 2001, 2002, I believe. You've got to check me on that. I'm not exactly uh, uh, on the date. Um, so, direct democracy constitutes of three pillars. Uh, the initiative, referendum, and recall. Now, recall means that if you elect the official, and the mismanagement uh, is actually this front or you have this position of power, uh, you can all be mis-elected. Um, let's say you elect the president, and he just starts spending money. Uh, you can have to wait four years to know his election. Uh, you can do it immediately by vote to recall. Um, this is a representative of the kinds of You can either veto a vote made by the government, or you can uh, initialize uh, a procedure to institute new laws. So, so and in, uh, the reference uh, the first uh, implemented was only still though. Uh, after, after a while, we had a form of initiative, so that people their own Hey, Jacob, i got to call Mike, and unfortunately your sound is still dying. Um, <laughs> go ahead and do us a favor and join us in the Revolution Broadcasting uh, chat room and uh, provide commentary from there. Um, okay, I, okay, that's this good really idea. sucks. Don't worry. I know I'll end up getting him back on the show again. I don't know what's going on. Now that Mike's sound is working good, yours isn't. Um, <laughs> it's rather unfortunate. But we'll talk more about it later. But I'm going to go ahead and call Senator Gravel. And um, once again, um, it's always good to have you on the show, Jacob. I'm sorry it worked out this way again. And, um, no, that's all right. And, uh, but I look forward to hearing your comments in the, uh, in the chat room. We'll do it this way. All right. Take care, man. Okay. okay. Bye, bye. Bye. All right. We're calling Senator Mike Gravel. Just give it a moment to connect, and we'll be good to go. Hello. Hello, Mike. Hello. Okay. You got an echo. Oh, I yeah. do. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to do that out or not. Can you call me back? Uh, I can try. Yeah, one second. Sorry about that, folks. Sometimes Skype does not is not good to me. Give me just a moment. Well, here we go. Calling him again. Once again, sorry about any trouble, guys. Um, unfortunately, we this is all we have. With any luck, we'll be able to fix this. 
Um, How's that? that? You sound better? Yeah. Um. I yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to tune that out or not. Um. That has is that on your side thing. or what? It probably is. Um. I apologize for that. Um. But in any case, can you still make me out okay? Oh yeah. Yeah. I can, I can make you out. You actually sound fine. What you're hearing basically is only on your end. You won't the the, the people who are listening won't hear it. Okay. Okay. Well, other than that, yeah, you sound great. Um, could probably be a little louder. Other than that, I'd say you're fine. Um, I apologize for all that, but um, once again, uh, Mike Gravel, uh, say hello to your listeners. Hello. <laughs> hello, listeners. Definitely good to see you. Um, and uh, once again, everybody, happy birthday! Don't forget to say happy birthday to Senator Gravel today. Um, he doesn't want me to disclose publicly how old he is. Um, oh, I, I just don't want to count you. I don't want to count you. Well, I understand, sir, but you definitely still have just as much fire as you did when you were younger. And, um, well, and you know, I would say I was very surprised. Not only just as much, but I got the advantage of having more wisdom. No, I agree with you there. Um, I definitely think that um, there are some people that, you know, could definitely benefit from actually sitting down and having a chance to have a talk with you. And I think that's one of the reasons why I um, support you as much as I do, is that I talk to you just as a guy, not as, you know, just a politician on some radio show. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's really given me a certain advantage. I try to do that with all of my guests at one point or another because, you know, everybody's got a, a spiel that they use. I mean, like, take a guy like Bob Barr. He's got all kinds of spiel. I mean, I doubt he's anything like that when he's at home in his living room, you know, or a guy like Wayne Root. I mean, I'm, I think I may have already told you how I feel about him, but um, <laughs> to put it bluntly, it wasn't so great. Um, but uh, basically, uh, you know, this, this particular segment, unfortunately, my co-host was not able to get his sound stuff together. Um, we were having Uh-oh. problems. But uh, right, yeah, and uh, well, he was just discussing with it. I mean, I guess like um, he's also in our chat room, and if he has any comments, I'll bring them forward. Unfortunately, the sound wasn't any good. But if you ever want to talk to him about that, um, you know, make sure. Maybe another time. Maybe another time. Yeah, definitely. Because having a dialogue with somebody who's knowledgeable about our Right. No, I agree. And he's told me a lot about it. And it just, it seems to be working so well. Like he gave me an example right now in Switzerland, they deployed the, uh, the Swiss government to some kind of like police action or peacekeeping mission. And the Swiss people don't agree with it. They don't want their people in foreign wars. And so the Swiss, you know, the Swiss people were able to put together a referendum and say, uh, no, um, we don't think so. We want our troops home now. And they actually have the power to do that, you know. And No, it is great. It is great. And I've been reading your book, and I've been reading about, you know, because you, know, you initially told me, like, when you first came on the show when I was with, uh, um, when I was with uh, the North Virginia Patriots. Yeah, you came on there, and, you know, you talked about how representative government was failing, and it took me a few moments to really think about it, and then I realized you were absolutely right. Um, the fact is, is that, you know, as you, you know, as I read in your book, these people tend to um, kind of act in their own best interest. And, of course, you know, they're not going to necessarily be very honest with you because that's not in their best interest. What's in their best interest is to say whatever is necessary to get elected. 
And that's why I feel another check and balance would be good. And every story that my buddy Jacob, he's the one from, um, he's originally from Holland, but he knows a lot about Switzerland. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, he uh, told me, you know, just different stories about how the Swiss government might do something to say, for example, at one point, the Swiss government did something to usurp some authority for itself. Like, I guess there's a Confederate portion of that government. And um, so the people said, well, no, we don't think so. They put together a referendum and then they made it go away, you know, and, uh, I definitely think that, um, you know, that is an answer that I think could solve, you know, so many of our problems, particularly when you consider that the special interests just buy and pay for our government. And, um, and that's how great it would be that the, the, the people could do that in this country. Uh, yeah. It's really sad. And the social media just haunts us all up thinking that everything is great, you know, everything is great. And, and uh, but the average know that there's a serious, serious problem. They're hurting, and uh, you wouldn't know that by listening to all the pundits uh, who you know make over a million dollars a year. They don't feel any pain. You know, they they don't realize what the average person is going through. And of course, you know, do the candidates. You got to keep in mind that uh, uh, these candidates, all three of these candidates, are multi-millionaires. Right. Multi-millionaires. Now, they were modest to begin with, but just look at the Clintons. You know, they made a hundred million dollars in the last seven years. You know, you don't think public life hasn't been good for them? <laughs> and, right. And, and they've forgotten. They've forgotten where they've come from. They really have, because uh, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing uh, if uh, they hadn't forgotten. Well, they can tell us. You know, their humble beginnings. We can all match humble beginnings and then some. But uh, what are they doing right now to help the average citizen? The same old, same old. They're raising more money from Wall Street than uh, has been raised ever before. And, and by the same group that owns the Republicans, now owns the Democrats. And here, here's the best example is that George Bush, when he ran for office in 2000, and then again in 2004, broke all records raising money, broke all records, and then, of course, sold us out to corporate America, the corporatocracy we have. Here you have Henry that broke his records, and now Obama has trebled the records that they have. He's broken. He's gone through the stratosphere, $250 million in the primary. What do you think that comes from? It comes from Wall Street the military-industrial complex, the nuclear industry, and you think that for a minute he's going to be any different than the others? It's more of the same. Trust me. No, I totally agree with you. And I've kind of come to those conclusions a lot on my own, particularly when it comes to the mainstream media and how they're so controlled by government power. You know, not government power, but by corporate power. And I get into this argument quite a bit with libertarians because – Generally, if you say anything bad about you know uh, corporations in general, then they don't they don't like that because they immediately assume that I mean like you know we need to regulate everything and all that. And I I don't even necessarily feel that that would work because the same people that you know you're trying to essentially you know you're trying to stop them are the ones who control the government in the first place. Of course, yeah. it's a mercantile system, right? And, uh, and it's not a capitalist system; it's a mercantile system. But but here. There's many libertarians that really don't focus on what the solutions are. The solutions.
are based upon common sense. And, and what libertarians have that the Democrats and Republicans don't have, we have a concept of liberty and freedom. And that's enough. That's enough. Inside of that, now you can use your creative imagination to address the problems. You don't exclude solutions. You try them. They work. They work. If they fail, they fail. You change. But we do know that representative government, where we give our power away to people who have no other interest but to have power, have power, uh, and, and use that power for their benefit first and foremost, and that's human nature. I'm not saying that, that that can be changed in any regard. And when we empower the American people, they'll vote their enlightened self-interest. But there's the difference. On a majoritarian basis, they'll make decisions that will affect them first. And that's, that's what we want. We want the majority to be satisfied first, not the minority that rules us today. You know, I totally agree with you about that. Um, you know, if, for example, like, you know, in the chat room, some of the conversation that's going on, you know, thanks to this conversation, is um, basically, you know, like, they, they, some people are concerned about the bad laws, you know, like, are people going to pass bad laws with the national referendum? And then I bring up, okay, so you're against this system, but you're for the system that is allowing bad laws to be passed right now. You know, not just bad laws, laws that people should be impeached for even being willing to consider these things are, you know, blatant violations of the Constitution, and our representatives, you know, we basically have to play mind games and hope that we're going to elect somebody who's not going to do this. The problem is, is that they're not as concerned about our votes as they are as the dollars of the special interests who pay for their campaigns. And, you know, we, you know, of course, there's, we have no idea what else is going on behind the curtain when it comes to things like that, you know, like... Well, 90% of what the government does is held secret. And I'll tell you, it could be revealed to the American people. And the Congress is complicit in all these secrets, along with the bureaucracy. Now, you're quite right. The logic, unfortunately, of many people is they will criticize the, uh, the, the prospective possibility of having a direct democracy with the people in charge. They will, descri- they will describe that, describing the evils of the system they know. They don't know the system we're talking about because they've never lived under it. And right. the closest they have to it is Switzerland, and it works very well there. It's very free and very open. But so when people, it, it's, it's an interesting facet. They're afraid of other people. Well, that's fine. But if you're, and, and many times they're afraid of majoritarian rule. Well, if you don't go for majoritarian rule, you're going to have minority rule. And that's what we've had since the beginning of our country is ruled by the minority, and now it's in deep trouble. And if you don't like rule by the minority, you've got to go for the majority. There's no in-between. And this is the logic that many just don't understand. You know, um, basic, you know there's actually like, you know, a, this is another example uh, it, that people generally, they, they look at the surface issue, they, they panic on a lot of things. And I understand why the people who really think about this stuff are a little bit paranoid, you know, but I, you know, for example, that, you know, they, they said that, you know, somebody just said in the chat room that, you know, you can pass unconstitutional laws or the referendum. And I said, that's not true, you know, because I've actually read the book, you know, just like, you said the guy, what, what, how could you do that? The Supreme court can adjudicate any law that's enacted by the Congress or by the people. 
Now, the Congress can initiate an amendment to the Constitution, which the Supreme Court can't touch, and the people can initiate an amendment to the Constitution also. And it takes two votes, six months apart, no further than a year apart. But it takes two votes on a majoritarian basis. And with the Congress, uh, the reason why we don't have much reform in our system of government is because the process to amend the Constitution by the government is so undemocratic that you can't get any intelligent reform through. It takes 13 states. That's all it takes. 13 chambers of states, not the whole state, just the chambers of most states. All, all of them have two except one, two chambers, the Senate and the House. So it only takes 13 chambers to stop any amendment to the Constitution. Now, that's so small a minority that it's we're, and, and that's what rules our country, is a minority. And all we're suggesting is that the people are better informed than their leaders, and they're more than qualified to turn around and make an amendment to the Constitution in a very deliberate kind of way. But, it, but on laws, you're quite right, Neil. You're quite right. It'll be adjudicated by the Supreme Court, uh, just like any other law passed by the Congress. But the problem is a lot of people are so uninformed They'll criticize direct democracy when they really don't know anything about it, uh, and it's it's in theory. But I have specific legislation, and as you pointed out, you've read about it in the book. You've read the text of the law, and uh, and these people are talking about something or critiquing something that doesn't exist. No, I totally agree with you, um, and you know. Oh, man, it really does get to be a problem um, when you, you bang your head against the wall with some people because they don't really look at the big picture. And I think that, you know, like I was saying, they can be paranoid about things. They're, they're worried that these things are going to be a problem. They're also they're scared of the majoritarian rule. And when you say the word majoritarian to a lot of libertarians, they, they have a tendency um, to get really out of line. And I don't think they understand that what we have now, as you pointed out, is already a minority rule. And I think that when you look at this in context with um, uh, the way, like, for example, I didn't even know a lot of the stuff that you put in your book about how the Constitution was ratified and all the things that they had to go through about how Ben Franklin tried to stop slavery from being involved and that, you know, that up until, like, the Constitution, the, the town hall, like, we vote on everything, you know, resolution way of doing, you know, government is what, the, is what had made the colonies so free. And then and when successful and successful exactly successful exactly and, uh, but they walked away from that when they cut the deal with the devil to put in slavery and so right. when the people say oh, we can't change the constitution <clears throat> what are you talking about after here at the convention it took five years for them to put in the bill of rights that was not in by the framers that was put in after by essentially the people who opposed the constitution and the deal was cut that well we're gonna we'll put it in after if you'll go ahead and get this thing approved. And then they did it with five, uh, as you know, with uh, with Article Seven that says the conventions of nine states. They didn't even trust the people to ratify it because they knew the people would not ratify our constitution with slavery included. They knew that case, and that's the reason why they denied because all of our founding fathers said repeatedly that the American people should be able to change their government and make laws in the future 
but of course they never put in place the procedures to do it. So these people that just that just worship the founding fathers, they really don't understand what the founding fathers were thinking about. No, I agree, and especially when you talk about how, like, you know, those other states that, you know, that wouldn't ratify if they couldn't have slavery and how they kind of blackmailed Madison. There's two of them. There's just, just South Carolina and Georgia. And right. Boy, I'll tell you, it's difficult to put yourself in the shoes, in the context at that time. But, you know, if I, if I could just play devil's advocate, I think I would have said, hey, fellas, <laughs> we don't need you. We're going to form uh, a country without you. And uh, and then they would have come in later because they would have had the French, they would have had the British, and they would have had the Spanish nipping at their heels, ready to take over their country. And then, of course, the British eventually outlawed slavery before we did, far before we did, uh, almost 40 years before we did. And uh, and so they would have had no better situation. They would have come in. They would have come in. We The sadness is what people don't realize is in our country, the best opportunity we had to do away with slavery was between uh, 1781 and 1787, right after the Civil War. And we lost that opportunity, and it got further entrenched in our, in our southern economy, uh, and it was just really, really a tough situation. And we're paying, we're paying right now dearly for the scourge of that unfortunate decision made back in 1787. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely, because I got into this debate, too, with a few libertarians, and one of them was is that, you know, I agree that the Civil War was not just about slavery. We were led to believe that it was just about slavery, but, you know, anybody who really looks at it knows that that's one of the aspects. But that's definitely not the whole thing. You know, but the, the question would be then, obviously, there was the state's rights issue that the government shouldn't be able to, you know, to make certain things against the law in other states. You know, and especially, you know, it, it's funny how uh, when, you, when you argue with some libertarians, the, they get what I call freedom crazy. It's, it really is a feeling of, um, it, it's like, basically, um, they, they want to deregulate everything all the way down to the bottom. And it's because, you know, yeah, I, I recognize that, that authority and government has been abused. But there are some things. I mean, it's like when, when I have to argue with a libertarian about whether or not it was right for the government to intervene and to stop slavery, you know, this is… Wow, that is an extreme. That is an extreme. <laughs> yes, it well, certainly is. You see, that's where, you see these, these are not good libertarians. They truly are not. That's, right. what, what, that, that's a person that's really got off his trolleys, uh, trolley tracks. Uh, because if you're a libertarian, you, anybody can interpret whatever you want to mean by libertarian. But a libertarian means you believe in liberty and freedom. And so when a person will buy into some bizarre concept of slavery, that's not a libertarian. That's not a libertarian at all. And so... What we need to be guided by, and this is where the majority of libertarians are, because you can go to the Republican Party, you can go to the Democratic Party, but they got their crazies too, in fact, more than we have, because they, they, they're monopolists. But uh, the libertarians are just locked into this theory. They love to debate. But right now we've got a crisis. Our country's in serious trouble. And the only, the only organization that can save the day is 
the Libertarian Party believes in freedom, liberty. And now, within that watchword of freedom and liberty watchwords, uh, we now have to use common sense and good judgment uh, to be creative as to how we're going to govern ourselves. That's it. It's common sense. Now, if you need some government, you'd use it. If you don't need it, put it down. What happens with with the minority, they'd use government. They pick it up and use it to control our economy through a, a system called mercantilism, not capitalism, mercantilism where the economic interests control the government, get the laws they want uh, to make them stronger economically at the disadvantage of the citizen. And... Uh, and so now we've got mercantilism, and uh, and so you, you get a person who sits back theoretically and really is is just picking at his nose rather than trying to go out and solve a problem. And that's a, that's the problem human beings have. We are all immature, and what we can do is make our best efforts at self-governance, but to get into discussions where we take theory to absurdity, <laughs> we advance nothing. And so the, 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 it's a little bit like, uh, like Nero fiddling while Rome burns. Well, Rome is, the United States is burning, and, uh, and to fiddle around with absurd arguments when really our watchwords are very simple, liberty and freedom, and using common sense to realize both of those concepts with government, with an economy, and with people of goodwill. What more do we need? No, I, yeah, I totally get that. And, and it, you know, I talked to actually to a gentleman named Jim Burns. I guess he's another candidate for the Libertarian can, uh, nomination. And um, I have to say, actually, I, I hope that at some point you and him get to talk, because he, he basically, he can make these arguments very well, and he's very intellectual, and he's much more compelling than some of the people who get so mad and, you know, they just jump off, you know, the deep end about this. And I know why they're doing it. It's because they're very frustrated. You know, they, they really want freedom and they really want liberty, but they're not very good at explaining it. And then they get frustrated when you don't agree. Um, and then they start calling you names, like, you know, words like socialist and fascist and statist, and they just they throw these words around all over the place. And, you know, in some groups, you know, like I said, if you say anything about the corporations, corp, you know, corp, you say anything bad about corporations, then that clearly means you're against the free market, and it means, you know, you're, you're a socialist this or a statist that. You know, but even he and I talked, and he was a very, very strong, very firm libertarian, um, and he, you know, even he said that he is just as worried about corporate fascism as he is about government fascism. You know, and, we, you know, we talked about the fact that, unfortunately, they can tend to be kind of um, – one and the same, you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, you, you tell these people this, and it's funny, too, because in the Ron Paul movement, people are always complaining about the mainstream media. They complain about the fact that people like you, people like Dennis Kucinich, and people like Ron Paul do not get the amount of time they really deserve, because if they did, you know, you know that, you know, you guys, you know, even Dennis or Ron Paul would have had so much more, you know, of the vote if we had actually gotten the message out, because what they say, what all of you say makes a lot more sense than what we're used to. You know, and also, when you're talking about, like, some of the things that we debate, you know, being silly or whatever, for example, I played some of Dennis's stuff on my show, and it's because, you know, Dennis is, you know, is a pretty good statesman, he, he is for freedom, and he's for protecting people's civil liberties, and all people could talk about was the fact that he's a socialist, and therefore that he must support welfare and all this other stuff, 
you know, and that you know what? Um, if it let's 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 argue about the stuff that's super important first. I'm not saying that that other stuff's not important, but let's make sure. You know, you know I, I had let me let me share with you. I called. Uh, I was on a program in Phoenix, and immediately the first caller called up. He says, "You're not a libertarian," and he says, "You probably voted for for government control of education. You probably voted for the." You know, I said, well, uh, there's no question about it. You know, in my 16-year career, I probably voted a lot of things that you probably wouldn't like as a libertarian. But just stop a moment. Now, I I turned around and released the Pentagon Papers. Uh, and uh, now, do you consider that, you know, top-secret document, put myself at risk, possibly going to jail, ending my career? Do you consider that a libertarian? Oh, yeah, that's a libertarian. Now, I turned around and... Uh, brought about the Alaska Pipeline, the largest private holding of property in American history. Now, I brought that about. I even had to fight the oil companies for a while. Do you consider that a libertarian? Oh, yeah, that's a libertarian. Now, I stopped the government from nuclear testing in the North Pacific, threatening the food chain of them. Oh, you consider that libertarian? Oh, yes, that's libertarian. And then I went on with a few more, and I said, well, now, wait a second. This is what I'm known nationally. This is legislation I've done. Now, do you know of anybody in the Libertarian Party who's done anything that's even a fraction of what I've done? And you dare say I'm not a Libertarian? <laughs> no, and the guy just shut up. I, just shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Here, a Libertarian believes in freedom and liberty. Right. That means I believe in your right to think the way you think. You don't have to think the way I think. As long as you believe in freedom, that's what I care about. Well, that's what I told them. And I also said, I mean, like, I'll tell you another story just about people talking to people about you specifically. But let me finish this one thing I was getting at, which was just that, you know what? Um, I'm a little more concerned about things like the Patriot Act and the Iraq War than I am about my neighbor having food stamps. If we're going to talk about... Oh, God, yes. Put on, you're, you're so right. You're, you're I mean, so right. you've got to be kidding me. Okay, you know, I, I see that we should probably get rid of welfare, but I think that we need, to, we need to do things to, you know, basically help stimulate our economy. I believe that the free market has a lot of answers. But, but the, the, the issue is, is that we fight each other over this, and we're fighting right well, now. Well, first off, they don't even acknowledge that we don't have a free economy. No, uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's I, a theory. I don't think they even understand. When I use the word mercantile system... It's not the capitalist system or the market system. It's a mercantile system where the people that got the money own the government and they get the laws they want. There's no free economy. Give me a break, please. I totally agree with you. I guess it's just that I'm of the opinion that, you know, this certainly if there's a fascist regime, that's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about socialists. I'm not worried about, you know, liberals and all that other jazz. I'm worried about people who want fascism in the America, you know, in America. And those people are doing their job right now because we're too busy fighting about socialism and health care and welfare. We're not fighting about the real issues. And that's one of the reasons why I like Dennis, you know, was that he came forward. He didn't just talk about dealing with Cheney. He went and did it. You know, he really risked his, you know, his life and limb to try to come forward and, you know, to go after this guy. And, you know, I'm not going to just talk about him, obviously, the whole show, but I'm giving an example. People didn't even want to look at the things that he did do. They just wanted to talk about, well, he's a Democrat, so therefore he's a socialist. And I deal with a lot of people on a daily basis because I argue about the subject of whether or not it's, you know, between you and Bob Barr. 
because you're both from other parties. And I get so many people, especially the Ron Paul people, who are so forgiving of everything in Barr's record. And when I ask them what they don't like about Mike Gravel, they tell me, well, I don't like Mike Gravel's record. And I say, do you know anything about Mike Gravel's record? You know, most of these people were probably not even alive when you were a, a senator. And I say, well, yeah, I know he was a Democrat. And I said, okay, do you know about the Pentagon Papers? No, what do you are know the draft? They'd be, they'd be, they'd be over there in Iraq as cannon fodder if it hadn't been for me. Oh, I know. Well, that's what I'm getting at. He, okay, he didn't know about the Pentagon Papers. He talks like he's an expert on whether or not on your history, but he doesn't know about the Pentagon Papers. I'm like, do you even know of any bills that he voted on? Do you have any idea what you're talking about? But because they're so obsessed with the socialist thing, which, mind you, I think it's important. We do need to deal with it. I just think that when we do things, like, for example, Ron Paul – and Dennis Kucinich work together as a team on the Congress a lot, and they acknowledge that they don't agree on everything, but there are some things that all Americans need to fight for. And one of those How do they handle the fact that the bar you know, was, uh, was in favor of the Patriot Act? How do they handle that? It, it, that's what's so screwed up. I mean, we brought him up. How do they the... handle the fact that he voted for the war? I, I know. I tell them all this stuff, Mike. I really do. I tell them everything he did wrong. But how do they handle it? Are they, are they total hypocrites with their head in the sand? He's, he's, they got a half a brain. He's changed his mind about it now, apparently. That, that's Pardon me? Going on. He's, he's, well, now he's changed his mind, so it's okay. Cause, cause he's well, wait a second. I came over as a Democrat. I didn't have to change my mind on anything. No, I, I, I was a liberal. I was a classic liberal. They don't even know what that means. That predates libertarianism before libertarians were even born. No, I, I mean, I was a libertarian before 1971, before they were libertarian. Yep. You know, no, I, I don't know where their brains are on something like this. It really is very sad. Uh, and, and it's insulting for me to say this to them, but, but they're insulting. They're no, insulting I, when, when they insist on, on exhibiting their level of ignorance on these subjects. Well, you know, I find it funny, actually. I had a lot of conversations with Christine Smith. I think she's really great. And I got to tell you, if you, if you had not... I, I, or I met her, and I think she's really great, too. Because yeah, if, if, I, if you were not in the race, I got to tell you, man, that, that would be my girl, 100%. And, uh, I think you're right. Think and, you're one right. Of the, and one of the things that she said was that it disgusts her some of the ways that people treat you in the Libertarian Party because she acknowledges that if the Libertarian Party is ever going to grow... They need to be willing to accept new ideas. They need to be willing to, you know, actually, you know, come forward and, and grow as a party because we're at a point where we've kind of stagnated. The libertarians got 0.32% of the vote in the last presidential election. You know, we can only get so much. 0.32%? That's great. That's great. They'll go into oblivion with that. Uh, it's the, you, can't, you can't lead from the margins. You lead from the center. It's a, it's a little bit, if you want to look at it in military terms, you don't lead from the back, you lead from the front. And, uh, and, and that's what's very sad. The libertarians have a, a patriotic responsibility to help save the country right now. And if these people are so imbued with their own ego and, and their own disputations that they don't want to save the country that they claim to be disputing about, then it's very, very sad for them. Well, um, my co-host just tried to log in. Let's see if he is as sound as any better. Go ahead and talk, Jacob. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, hey, nice. Jacob, I can hear you. I can hear you, Jacob. Okay. That's a microphone. It's an honor to meet you. Well, the pleasure is mine, and we've even lost my echo. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Great, Jacob. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you were able to fix up your deal. How long do you want to go for, Neil? 
Um, we can go as long as you want, Senator Gravel. My show ends at 3, but um, you know, I would like to have you on. And I, I also have a surprise announcement for you for your birthday um, at some point that I'd like to bring up. But I wanted you to be able to have a chance to have some dialogue with Jacob. Um, okay, uh, Jacob. Jacob, you have some strong views with respect to direct democracy. And I don't know if you've had occasion to uh, look closely at what I'm proposing for the United States with the National Initiative. But in any event, I'd like your comments in those areas, and we can begin a discussion. Well, uh, uh, Senator Mike Fell, um, I have um, not really read your book, so I, I can't talk about your ideas, ideas in uh, detail. I have um, had the opportunity to talk about uh, what you want with Neil. He's more knowledgeable about um, uh, how you want to implement it. But uh, I just uh, take greatest, the greatest example of their democracy being Switzerland, and they've been having it for 700 years, so uh, it can't beat that track record, you know? <laughs> That's right. In fact, most people, Jacob, don't realize when you just said 700 years that federalism was a concept developed by the Bundesbrief in Switzerland, I believe it was 1292 or something like that, Yes. Uh, that we copied. We copied. That's where we got the federalist concept when we formed our government. True. And, uh, and of course, a then lot we, of, then yes, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of nations copied uh, the Swiss example, like uh, the Dutch uh, United Provinces. Uh, that was kind of a, a confederacy, if you will, more like a NATO, uh, a Union of Independent States. Um, a, a lot of countries try to copy it because it's 1291. Imagine it's being that long for the Swiss. I mean, the Swiss history books must be very thin, you know, like uh, they had their uh, war of independence and pretty much nothing else happened, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a very dull history book. No wars, only peace. So, uh, <laughs> hey, unfortunately, they were, they were geographically located where they were ravaged by everybody else going through their country with their armies. <laughs> Uh, true, true. Well, they had the Alps, so they had like a slight advantage. Well, but, uh, but Hannibal, Hannibal got through. <laughs> elephants. Hey, Jacob, take a moment sure. uh, to give the example to Senator Gravel, for example, about the referendum that's coming forward now to be able to get the military out of that um, uh, peacekeeping mission. And yeah, well, I have, to, I, have to, I have to tell you some background uh, information about Switzerland. Switzerland is governed in a totally different manner. Uh, they do have a direct democracy, but that means that they decide on issues every week at town hall. And it's very, it's a very tiresome system because um, you don't delegate anything. They decide on new taxes. They decide on infrastructure every week. They vote on it. It's just like um, they're, they're basically their own politicians. You know? And they do this on a very uh, lo local level. Um, on, uh, on a city, on a uh, town township level, and then there's a next level that's called the canton level, uh, comparable comparable to your uh, states, um, which has uh, you know less authority than your local village, and then you can take that up to the confederate level, which is actually powerless. They, don't, they only have two mandates: that's the army and foreign affairs, and because Switzerland is neutral. That part of the government is actually very small. So um, I think most Swiss people don't even know the, the name of the president because there's no need to. He's powerless. You know. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Yeah, that's great. That's great. But 
just just to give you an example, it, because it's uh, the Swiss are not under the gun. They have had 700 years of peace, so people are people, and they slack. And um, issues that need not to be decided on on a day-to-day basis, they have delegated it to, uh, say, the canton level, or even to the confederate level. And what happens if people just slack and give their confederate government even just a little bit of power? If you see what happens, they just turn around and send troops over the border, you know. And in peacekeeping missions, uh, still, it's not a war, it's a peacekeeping mission, but, but still. And, uh, and a lot of Swiss are hopping mad about it. I said, hey, man, it's, it's not what this is all about. And um, they're having a referendum this year on a couple of issues, not only about the army thing, but uh, they also, they've also granted the power of um, giving uh, Swiss citizenship to the Confederate government. Uh, it used to be that uh, the Swiss would actually vote uh, in public uh, if uh, someone could become a Swiss or not. And uh, so this power of granted citizenship is, um, has been delegated to the Confederate government. So this will be turned back. I, I cannot say it will be turned back. There is a, there's a vote about it, 1 July 2008, and about the, um, the return to strict neutrality. Um, I think there's a vote uh, on it this year, but uh, it's not set yet. So, um, well, that, that's basically the, the Swiss uh, situation. So it, it's, it's slightly different because uh, every Swiss citizen votes directly on issues, raising taxes, lowering taxes, uh, infrastructure, what kind of uh, paint uh, they should um, give the street signs. I don't know, a, a lot of silly issues, uh, but they still vote on it. So it's a very tiresome system. But that they're, not, they're not so silly issues because stop and think. The, uh, these are issues that are decided many times at the local level, at the city planning level. So th- these are things that are done, and of course, uh, some libertarians take exception to that. But this is a majoritarian process. This is a discussion that Neil and I were having a moment ago about uh, majoritarian rule. And some uh, people, whether and I'm sure there are some in Switzerland, that they don't want to they don't want to be ruled by anybody. Well, and that's fine. Now, they, what they can do is they can go to the wilderness and or go up to the top of the mountain and stay there and not abide by any rules or abide by anything in, in society. But when you well, come into society, you've got to follow the rules of the majority. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, they, they, you, you have the possibility to secede in Switzerland. And actually, the last time that happened was in 1996 was Canton Jura. Uh, it did not secede from the Confederacy, but it seceded from uh, different states, and that's how Canton Jura was formed. So, I mean, um, so even if you totally disagree with certain issues, uh, let's say your village disagrees with uh, the, the policies of your of your state, and you just secede. You either form your own state or you um, join another state. Whatever, whatever you want to do. So, uh, so that's their their uh, system. There's also a very important thing. Uh, the United States government does have a tool to enforce laws on its on its populace, and it's called the army. And Switzerland uh, does not have an army; it has uh, a militia. So the government doesn't actually have this tool. Um, 
it doesn't have an army. It can use oh, against those populations. Yeah, but you gotta keep in mind a country like Costa Rica it doesn't have an army. And and it's been a great success with them. You know, that's one of the things we need to begin to understand that if a lot of countries did away with their armies, they wouldn't have reasons to go to war or to, to be invaded. It, you're, you're talking about something that's almost magical when you begin to do away with armies. Uh, I was reminded of a, of a statement by uh, James Madison, one of our early founders, and uh, he said, of all the evils, uh, the worst is uh, is war, because war requires armies, debt, and taxes. And, uh, and that puts in motion the ability of the minority to control the majority. Yes. And boy, well, if that isn't it, what's happening in our country, I don't know what is. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent example. And um, for the minority not to control uh, an, an armed apparatus, it's more prudent to integrate this apparatus with the citizenry. And uh, what that would mean is if there was a need for a war, an offensive position, that would actually um, take a referenda in Switzerland to, to, to do such a thing. Now, there's well, always a danger. Excuse me. It would be easier even in the United States because, you see, we have two oceans that protect us on either side, and we have two countries above and below us that we've been at peace with forever. And, uh, and so, God, if there's any country that could uh, get to that position and still not retire from the world but get involved with the world diplomatically, as the Swiss do, the Swiss are not isolationists. Uh, you know they're insular in many of their views, but sure. they're they're really out there in the world. They have Absolutely. a lot of international corporations, very substantial international corporations. Yes, I think uh, the top five um, pharmaceutical companies are all Swiss. Uh, yep. Last time I looked it up on Wikipedia, so it's not um, it, it, it's not a, a hick country as you as as someone might call it. Oh, far from far from <laughs> far from it. God, it is a beautiful country. Uh, well, it's my ambition to live there someday. Really? <laughs> well, it's it's a very it's a very beautiful country. I've been half, half a year in Switzerland in the summertime. See, I having lived in Alaska, I do not like warm weather, and so I would love to live summers in Switzerland and uh, winters uh, in the United States. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, uh, a lot of Swiss, Swiss people would like to welcome you then. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I, I, I spent time in Switzerland. I, I, I know the area very well. And, and since I speak French, I would, uh, rather than Zurich, which is uh, a, a great part of Switzerland, I would love the Great Geneva, the, the Jura area, which is very good. I've skied there once, but my yeah. skiing career is long gone. <laughs> oh, yes. I love the Falkland Mountains, too, yes. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And the lakes. Oh, my God. It's just too much. Too much. But i got to talk to my wife into doing that. But we'll see what happens with my political career in the United States this year. <laughs> Well, I'm having an interview with uh, uh, Ulrich Schlur, who is a member of the um, SV SVP party, uh, who is uh, initiating all these referendums of returning Switzerland to uh, its true roots of neutrality and uh, 
even more direct democracy, more than they have now. And I'm having this interview on the 29th, so um, I'll record it. So it'd be great if you like, could comment on it on a, on a later issue, and I'll can get to listen. Oh, I'd to love it. to. In fact, I would love to if they uh, not. This may not be the best time for me because of politics, but uh, I would love to be invited to go back to Switzerland and lecture on the subject. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, um, um, Jacob, do you have any examples of uh, different things in Switzerland that have been overturned by referendum? You know, just to give an example of the people being able to do this and actually being able to like tell their government, we don't think so. I mean, you gave me a couple. Well, Jacob, let me raise one point. Then. Jacob, yeah, I, I know I don't know the details, but you may remember it. They had a decision on immigration. Do you True. All the details of that. Could you relate that to us? Yes. Um, they had a, uh, it was on this. Uh, People who come to Switzerland and commit a crime uh, should be kicked out. It's basically what it said. And everybody in Europe was turning it around and saying they're against immigration and turning it into a, turning it into a whole uh, racist issue, which it isn't. Um, it, it's about this. Let's say um, I'm an asylum seeker or a refugee or whatever, and I uh, come into Switzerland and I commit a, a severe crime. I'm not talking about stealing an apple, but I rape someone or I kill someone or whatever, rob, rob a bank. Um, and this is something I didn't understand because it was always a situation that if you even did such a thing, you would be kicked out immediately. But this uh, authority was delegated to the Confederate government, and the Confederate government did nothing. You know, uh, sure, they put him in jail, but they didn't kick him out. They even got more people in. So there was a referendum this year, and they, no, not this year, last year, last, uh, last year, in 2006, um, somewhere in August, and um, basically said, if you do, if you commit a crime in Switzerland, after you serve your time, they kick you out. Oh, so. uh, interesting, huh? Yeah, it certainly sounds more effective than what we have now. But th didn't they also have another one uh, that where they permit uh, immigration for people to come in and be citizens? How does that work? Well, uh, that's going to change. How it works now uh, means that you have to uh, live in Switzerland a number of years. You have to speak one of the four languages, being German, French, or Italian, or Retro-Romans. Retro-Romans is like an old... Um, Latin tongue. Um, after the, that, the languages are German, Latin, uh, German, French, Na Italian, Italian, and Latin. Does, uh, or, does English count at all? No, English, no. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? No. <laughs> <laughs> they got four languages, but they don't have English. Okay, that's great. They don't. Yeah, well, it, it's a it's a historical thing. I mean, uh, I know. That. I know that. Okay, so, that's how I was bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, my my point was that uh, if you if you uh, learn one of these languages and you can speak it very well, and then there it takes a vote on your local council level, and if uh, if the majority votes for you, it's it's an open vote, it's not a secret vote. You know, it's, uh, people raise their hands, then essentially you become Swiss. That's it, that easy. So if the people that you live with, if they yes. vote to accept you as a citizen, you become a citizen. That's basically it, yes. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, I know. 
And if you commit a crime, you put you in jail for the crime, and then when the crime's all done, you serve your time, get the hell out of the country. We don't like criminals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's a libertarian. You got a that, that's a libertarian heart you're appealing to. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is that uh, I've I've talked uh, uh, I've spoken to libertarians about this issue, and they seem to forget that um, citizens are the principles of a country. Just like I can own stock in any corporation, I can. If I'm a citizen of, let's say, Switzerland, then you can have basically you have a stock, you have a uh, um, an investment in that country. It means that at any time you can call a stockholders meeting, and if you uh, are, of, are are of the opinion that your management is mismanagement, mismanagement is is your company, or uh, maybe misusing funds like buying corporate jets and flying around the world, or uh, giving themselves perks yeah, or whatever. So back up, back up. You're telling me that any uh, incorporated in Switzerland that a shareholder can do that? I'm, I'm saying how, how I'm just comparing it to a, a oh, privately oh, owned company. Yeah, okay, good, okay. Right, the, the people in Switzerland own their country. That's, that's what I'm saying. So if you own your country, you, you can secede, you can create your own country, you can, you can create your own state, you can do whatever you want because it's your property. And this is the argument I use is I, if I discuss this with libertarian. I mean, it's, this, this is, it's not common, it's not public, uh, it's not a public commodity. It's actually their own country. You know? Their village is, is their own property, their own private property. <coughs> See, our, our problem here is that, uh, you know, we get libertarians that talk of the purest approach, you know, which is what you're touching on there a little bit. What many of us as libertarians are trying to do is we're just trying to begin to take the first baby step of maybe getting a hold of the presidency. We won't get even a, 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 any major effect in the Congress, but if we can start somewhere with general principles of freedom and liberty, then the rest of this stuff, and empowering the people to make decisions, then the rest of this stuff, the people will mature to this level. Because keep in mind how many years and centuries it's taken the Swiss to mature to this level. This didn't jump on the table. Um, well, I, I, I tend to disagree. It, it was pretty much made out that way. I mean, even before 1291, they had a culture of uh, direct democracy where people voted for their uh, tribal leader or uh, revoked that decision. So, I mean, it's pretty clear a continuation of their of their culture that was already there in existence. So, uh, well, but we had we had the town meetings. We still have town meetings in some parts of New England. Yes, New England. Yes, the Constitution. What happened was they knew that this was a successful device of government, but they backed away from that entirely into a situation where where we have today where our minority in the United States are who rule our country. Yeah, but what they, your founding fathers basically said that uh, the, citizens, the citizenry doesn't own its own country. They're not the principles. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's like... It's like if I buy a stock in in Texaco, I'm just I'm just stating an example. The 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 board of directors would just turn back and say, "You don't own us." Yeah. We, well, we've got a long way to go, but if we can if we can get a little bit going, we'll mature the rest of the way. Yeah, true. That's true. That's true. 
And just to, to give an excellent example um, of how um, how, did, how this promotes adult behavior, because people always use the argument if you give people this kind of power, you have, you'll have mob rule and people are responsible and they will not pay for um, certain investments that are needed, like uh, infrastructure or whatnot. So I'm, I always use this example that I, I learned from the Swiss. Um, are you still online? Yeah, yeah. I just had another call come in on my cell phone. I was just okay. telling them to call me. I'll call them back. <laughs> <laughs> so I always use this example of how people react under under search under these circumstances. There were there was a referendum. Uh, every expenditure of a big ticket item, let's say you have to build a new road or you have to buy mm-hmm. hardware, military hardware, takes their referendum of the Swiss. Like uh, in the 1990s, they had, they had to by like 18 F-18 jets from, from the United States. And oh, I remember yep. that, yes. So a referendum was required to, to um, uh, uh, spend, spend that kind of money. So what I was talking about is uh, about building up a road, the building up a road. Um, Switzerland is in the heart of Europe, so a lot of trans- trucks drive through it. And uh, their infrastructure was in need of, a, of an upgrade. So I had to like, um, expand a, a certain highway. I, I, I forgot which one it was. So it, it took it took a vote, uh, it required a vote of uh, of people of that canton, and I think the the cost was four billion euros. You had to vote to to take four billion euros out of your pockets and and invest in this in this road, and and it is a lot of money because if if you if you build a road anywhere else. Uh, what, what you basically do is lay down the tarmac and the foundation, but the Swiss have a lot of problems because they live in the Alps, so they have to blast through oh, those yeah. rocks. And and yeah, so it's very expensive for them. Just just a, 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 sm- a small stretch of highway, it's very expensive for them. But 80% still voted to make this investment. Okay. Do they so, have a toll? Do they have a toll? Do you pay a toll? Uh, for if you're a foreign trucker, if you're a foreign trucker, you pay a toll. Oh, uh, great! And they get their investment back. Good. Good <laughs> they get their investment back, but they didn't. They didn't have to do that. I mean, these these truckers weren't stopping in Switzerland. Uh, let's say German truckers going to to Italy or uh, from Austria right. to France. At least they paid you know, so, so they paid for the cost of the road. Right. So, uh, but the Swiss did the responsible thing, and they did cough up the, the four billion euros. So. People are responsible if uh, if given half a chance. You know, it's their country. They take good care of it. This oh, and all you have to do is go there and you see how good a care they take of it. A lot better than than a major portion of the United States when you travel around. No, a yeah, lot better. Sure. The, the, but the, the other thing uh, is in writing the legislation, the national initiative. Uh, I was able to look closely at how Switzerland was working. was able to look closely at the 24 states in the United States that have initiative laws, and they're not they're not very good laws, but they're not very deliberative. Uh, and in fact, it, the compromise that I made that in some respects the lawmaking process in Switzerland is overly deliberative. It takes so much time, and in the United States, we have in those states that have this process. It's not deliberative enough, and so I've tried to get into a happy medium, where it, it where using copying the procedures of our legislative bodies, 
uh, and tweaking it so that it can be done in every government jurisdiction of the United States. And so I, I just so here again, you know, we can learn from each other. We can be informed by each other's experiences and each other's history, because we're all human beings, and God, we're not that different. <laughs> and, and when we don't know our histories, we tend to repeat them all over again, including the mistakes. You know, Senator Gravel, um, I definitely, you know, one of the things I wanted to point out that I read in your book that I think really opened my eyes when we were talking about the history, and you just brought up histories, is the, you know, is the fact that the, the representative government system was designed to protect the elites and their control over the government in the very first place. It's like we, we think now that, you know, that this is a new problem, but the fact is, is that it existed from the very inception of the Constitution, that the people involved with ratifying the Constitution were trying to protect their power from the very beginning. You know, and not to say that all the founding fathers were bad. From, like, from what I've been doing and studying, I guess Jefferson and Franklin, for example, were really you know, freedom-minded people. Oh, and James Wilson. James Wilson. I'll never forget James Wilson. Right. In fact, James Wilson, he was incidentally, you know, Franklin was so old at the time that it was James Wilson that would make his speeches. Franklin would write them, and James Wilson would make the speeches for him. And the reason why James Wilson has lost the history is, uh, in fact, James Wilson was the most educated person at the convention. He was a, a Scottish scholar, an attorney, and uh, he was a signature to the Declaration of Independence, was a signature to the Constitution, was an associate justice of the Supreme Court, and he had and was the one that delivered delivered the ratification in the state of Pennsylvania. Where, uh, you know. Uh, Franklin was the big name, but he was too old at the time. It was Wilson that did all the work. But the reason why he's, he was forgotten is because, like a lot of the people at that time, he speculated in land, and he went bankrupt. He wound up in debtor's prison as a Supreme Court justice, and his son bailed him out. And he skipped down to southern Georgia, riding circuit in southern Georgia as a Supreme Court justice, and he died in penury. It, I mean, only in American history. Well, uh, no, not only. It, it happens in other histories. I can, I can cite some similar experiences in European history and in, in Oriental history. But it just goes to show you how a great man was shunned aside because of, uh, of the way his life ended. But no, uh, James Wilson. Here, James Wilson has a direct quote that says that the people should be able to make laws uh, directly, a quote, a quote. Morgan, get off of that. Huh? Sorry about that, <laughs> child. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I thought I had my mic muted. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a direct quote, a direct quote by James Wilson. The people should be able to make laws directly, period. You know, no qualification, just they should be able to. And I think that was in uh, 17... 1730, no, 1788. You made that statement. Um, I have a question. Uh, in your implementation of uh, the direct democracy, what, uh, I mean, let, let's say, are there provisions that would make it uh, necessary, let's say, for a constitutional amendment that um, the Congress would have to ask permission of the populace? No, quite the contrary. One of the things that I don't do, and which is what they have in Switzerland, is they integrate the two bodies uh, much more closely than I would. And the reason why I didn't integrate them 
is because with the 24 states that have initiative processes right now, they're controlled, the process are, is controlled by representative government, and they use the judiciary to really sabotage the, the legislative process of the people. So I thought it best to separate them. And so we have the people that would be able to make laws by initiative, independent, and they have their own uh, agency that would administer their procedures for them on their behalf. It's called the Electoral Trust. And so they're totally separate. So now if the people choose to amend the Constitution, if the Congress wants to amend the Constitution, they do it under the Constitution, Article 5 was how they would do it. Now, if the people want to amend the Constitution, they do it under the procedures set forth in the National Initiative. And that means it would require the same vetting process as a law. The only difference is it would require two elections, six months apart and no longer than a year apart. And, they, and these elections, all elections, would be on a majoritarian basis. And I believe very, very strongly in the majoritarian view because when you, when you say that we need a supermajority, that is empowering a minority. And so I'm, I think that the key is majoritarian rule. And so the people can initiate and amend the Constitution. They don't have to wait. See, the distinction that I make is when you talk of a referendum, any legislative body in the world can refer something to the people. Uh, and so you don't need – the people do not need to have referendum power because legislative bodies already have that power latently in, in their sovereign power as a legislative body. Now, what the people need is initiative power where they, where they can initiate their sovereign use of legislative power. And with that initiative power, they can do anything. They can, they can do away with the government if they chose. Okay. So there's the possibility the, of the minute, recall. Oh, easy, easy, easy. You don't need a recall law. You pass an initiative that recalls anybody you want. I'll give you an extreme example. And it's not so extreme. At the minute the people come into the, uh, the power, they are the senior power, the senior uh, partners. And it's, it, it really is de facto so in Switzerland. And that's when you're talking about what the changes they're making, <clears throat> they're reasserting themselves. That means okay. they truly are the senior partners. Well, in the United States, under the National Initiative, they would be the senior partners. They would then be able to uh, – they I'll give you an example. They, the, the, uh, the people pass a law. The Congress looks at it and says, oh, no, we don't like this law. We're going to change it. So they change it. Well, the people pass the law again, and the Congress says, hey, well, we're going to change it again. I'll tell you, they'll only do that once. Now, the, the politicians are not that dumb. They will not do that. That's not the way it will actually operate. But if you're looking at a theoretical extreme, if they did that, the people could pass an amendment to the Constitution outlawing the Congress. They could pass an <laughs> amendment changing the executive and also doing away with the Supreme Court. They have that power. Uh, well, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. I need to take to ask a question because one of the listeners had a good question, and um, I, I wanted you to elaborate on it yourself, Mike. Um, it has to do with um, how do you avoid the mainstream media controlling the essentially controlling the elections for for a referendum or national initiative? Um, what were the regulations exactly, and is regulation the right word? I mean, no, no there's no regulation to do that. What it is is it works this way. First off. The key, the key is communication, and as you point out, 
the media is in the communication business. But it would here. I outlaw all monies except from a natural person in the constitutional amendment. I didn't want to leave that in law. Now, keep in mind, the National Initiative has got two facets. There's a constitutional amendment plus a statute. Uh, now, I've got the outlaw of money except from a natural person, which means that any person can give any amount of money for against initiative. I don't touch representative government at all at this point. Unless the people do that later on. But now, when you say, well, will the media have influence? Sure, they'll have influence. But if you have sufficient communications process in the, in the initiative process, which we do, and boy, is it, is it elaborate, that means that any person would have to actually hide under a rock to not know what's going on. And, and, and you don't, there's no forcing you to vote. You don't vote on initiative. <clears throat> but theoretically, I would say this. That, and, and I can prove this from examples in the United States, that when people identify their enlightened self-interest, you cannot bribe them. Now, you, can buy, you, can, you can bribe and buy a legislature. You can buy and bribe the Congress. But you cannot bribe the people. If you successfully can bribe the people, then you've actually joined forces with what the people want in the majoritarian fashion. The people are unbribable. Do you, do, you, do you see the logic of that? I definitely see the logic of that, and that's actually one of the things that's the most uh, interesting about it is that, you know, they, they panic about, like, you know, so what are you going to say when they, when they pass these bad laws? You know, what's going to stop the people from, you know, harming their own life, liberty, and property as, you know, libertarian? Well, they're like, well, why would they do that? Yeah, well, <laughs> here's the difference. Here's the difference. People, now, there's different kinds of bad laws. If they pass a bad law that hurts them, Man, you got to believe they'll change it real quickly. When we pass a bad law in representative government and it hurts the people, you don't see it change because the people, the people who pass the law don't feel the pain. A war. Here, if the people had the ability to end the war, it would have ended. Well, first off, we could probably never gone into Iraq. But just supposing they would have gone into they'd have got out a year later. But now we're into our sixth year. And the people overwhelmingly in polls, 70, 80% say we should get out. Why don't we get out? We continue to suffer the loss of treasure and the pain? That's representative government. No, if the people were the vote, they'd have got out many, four years, five years ago. But, but you see, there is the difference. People can correct their mistakes because they feel the pain immediately. Representative government, the leaders don't feel the pain immediately. They just continue enjoying their purpose. Yeah, they make mistakes, you know, but in this way, they'll have the ability to correct it. And the added benefit is they can never blame anyone for their mistakes. They cannot and, what that does, and what that does is it makes people grow up. And there you go. Representative government enshrines civic adolescence. Taking responsibility for for what you do is how we become adults. And so direct democracy is the vehicle for civic maturation. And that maturation inures to the benefit of all facets of human life. True. You know, that's actually a comment that I made, too, is that in a lot of cases, the reason why we can't really um, – we, we can't really pay – you know, people don't pay attention to politics because they're so apathetic 
You just think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And that's honestly why I feel that, you know, it, that's why our system is so screwed up, because intelligent people generally don't vote. <laughs> I mean, the people who are intelligent who do vote are, you know, are really in the minority. You know, I don't even want to just say intelligent. Maybe that's not the best way to say it. It's just that I think a lot of people, they're trying to pretend that, you know, the world is, it's not even that they're trying to pretend the world is fine. They're just doing their best to try to ignore it. But the, media, the media keeps telling you that by going out and voting on election day that you're going to control your government. And that's a joke. No, it is, it is. You give your power away. And yep. you give your power to people who make the laws, who then maintain the monopoly of the Democrats and Republicans and pass laws that you have to obey or go to jail. People you know, don't have any. Here, I have a small question. Please. I have a small question. If, if there is a constitutional amendment, would, would that uh, need, uh, need to be ratified by, the, by all states in the United States? No, not under not under the national initiative. See, that's under the Article Five of the Constitution. See, Article Five in the Constitution is how the government amends the Constitution. Article One is how the government makes laws. What the founders, what the framers did not do was to give people procedures to amend the Constitution and to make laws. And the reason why they did that is they knew they wouldn't buy into slavery. Yeah, yeah, I read about that, and that's definitely one of the most powerful points I had for sure. You know, and something else though, Jacob, that I wanted you to touch on was like you told me that there are some some changes, for example, that can't be made in the Swiss government without a referendum. Like you said that they, for example, to pass something like the Patriot Act, it could never be done by the representatives. It would have to go through the people. I really like that idea. Um, I mean, there are a lot of laws. There are a lot of laws that have to pass through a referendum. So um, government cannot turn around and say, hey, you chose us, we, are, uh, we, are, we have delegated your power, and we'll do whatever we want for four years. The Swiss, have, the Swiss don't delegate their power that way. So uh, spending money on big-ticket items, uh, impo uh, changing the Constitution, uh, even changing um, uh, for laws, uh, let's say foreign relations with the European Union, every single... Uh, act of the Confederate government would require a referendum of the Swiss people. You can imagine that. You know, I mean, oh, right. I still get yeah, it. I think that's great. See, the only difference, Jacob, is that what I do is I, I, I flip it and see rather than having to go directly to the people on that, the people at any time can here. The three of us could initiate a an initiative that says, hey, I just read what the government did here. We've got to stop that. And bam, it right. is in motion. It's in motion. So but it, would, it, would it take, would it take uh, in Switzerland, you, uh, to take the volatility out of the system, uh, there are like two um, rounds of gathering signatures. Yeah, um, no, see, ours is a lot easier. Okay. No, and okay. yours takes a couple of years many times. No, ours can be. We technically could have an initiative in a week's time or less. See, that's the thing that when I was referring to earlier, that uh, it, it's, you see, your system evolved like representative government has evolved. And the advantage uh, that I had is I could look at the Swiss system, uh, read about it. I've been, I've been to Bern. I met with legislators there. And then okay. look at the various systems in the United States and, and try to fashion something that's closer to our cultural acceptance and to our our procedures, and of course, I have 
16 years of the elected legislative experience that I could bring to it. So it just wasn't an academic exercise by some professor. It was somebody who lived the system as a politician and as a legislator. And so I fashioned something that's, that's quite unique. And, it's, and I'm not an attorney. I've had to school myself as a, as a constitutional scholar in this regard. And, and what we've got is something that's totally unassailable constitutionally and legally because we go around the government. We're in, the government will never, never, uh, the Congress will never enact what I'm talking about. And that's why okay. we're going directly to the people to get this done. But it's difficult. We're going to need somewhere, and I say somewhere because the, the standards that we set, it's going to require 60 million people to support, to vote for this. That ain't, hey, that's the same number by and large. In fact, the standard that we set is the number of people, the majority that voted in the last presidential election, must vote in the affirmative for the national initiative for it to become the law. And that's difficult. Okay. But when you're making this fundamental change, as we are, and completing the work of the founding fathers in our system of governance within the United States, it, it has to be a difficult procedure. There's no shortcut. But what happens, and this is what has not happened with Switzerland, Switzerland is a great model. But if we can get direct democracy in the United States, I maintain it will go around the world like wildfire. It, it, the people will not be put aside by the government. One of the interesting things when you look at history and you see that our constitutional system was copied by so many countries, and, and we, we're so proud of that. Well, the reason why it was copied is because the way we designed it, it enshrines the leadership. Of course, all these countries copied our Constitution. It made sure that the elites kept control of the country. <laughs> right. well, uh, Mark, right. go ahead, Jacob. Mark, I'm, uh, I'm going to play uh, Dell's advocate here, um, ask you a question, and say, if you have a country of 300 million people, uh, and it takes only the three of us to, to create the initiative, uh, wouldn't we be voting on, like, 10,000 initiatives? Not at all. Not at all. Because, you see, you have to go, if, we, if you take our idea, it has to be qualified. And how do you get it qualified? There's three ways to qualify initiatives so they can go forward in the procedures. One is, let's say if it's a national initiative, it, it can be accepted by the Congress without changing a word or a comma and put before the people for a vote. Okay? For a vote. The next, we have to collect a certain percentage of signatures to determine whether enough people in this country want to even vote on the issue. And then the third is you could commission a poll, and if 50% of the people want to vote on the issue, not voting for or against, just that they feel it's meritorious enough to spend the time on. You see, that's the qualifying process. And once the initiative is qualified, by the people that this is a serious enough subject to be voted on, and then it proceeds through the process. And whenever people ask me that same question, I, I turn around and say, hey, just look at Switzerland. They don't bust their pick on national initiatives. How many do you have in the course of a year? Not that many. No, that, that's, uh, well, it depends how strongly they feel about it. If I had an idea, let's say, to 
uh, half the paycheck of, uh, of veterans. Very unpopular idea, of course. I, I won't uh, be qualified to begin with, so uh, it takes uh, it takes the volatility out of the system anyway. So, but how fast um, would would you imagine this, this whole process would, would take? Let's say from inception to to voting, to final voting. It uh, well here you just have to follow the process and you can judge. If you wanted to declare war, you could do that in a matter of days. It, it, because you see, you've got the electoral trust and you got the procedures. And the procedures are you have to qualify it first. Well, obviously, the act of war would be so, the need would be so visible that the qualification is almost instantaneous. Okay? So that's satisfied. Now, uh, you would obviously, the electoral trust would have procedures that you could jump to the head of the line. Because you see, instead of a pipeline, in legislative bodies, uh, the the order of legislation is determined by the parties, the legislative leaders. Well, you can't do that with initiatives because there's no party control. In fact, by empowering the people in this country, we will diminish the control of political parties, which, of course, was an evil that the founding fathers really saw. So, so now what will happen is that you could jump drunk jump right to the head of the pipeline and say, okay, the next initiative, which is going to be voted on next week, is uh, is the declaration of war, and then you can shorten the period of time. Because you see, you can set up a process that have one week's time, 24 hours a day for seven days, to vote on an initiative. You know, And you can vote okay. from your computer, from a telephone, from a kiosk, any way you want. You know, it's using advanced tech. We have great, I have great reliance on use of advanced technology in this process. The same thing when you hold a hearing with the deliberative process and the communications process. This is all with the most advanced technology so that it's easy for the people to participate. You know, this has been an awesome conversation, Senator Vail, and I hope that we can have more of them. I, I'm sorry, I think I pretty much kept you for like my whole show, and I know it's your birthday. Um, I do have a present for you. Be yeah. um, for your. Um, I wanted to announce today, which will make some of my listeners angry and some of my listeners happy, um, that today uh, V Radio is officially endorsing Mike Ravel for the Libertarian nomination. Um, that my wife and I have this, uh, made our decision after talking with all the candidates that we are going to be delegates for you at the national convention. Um, we're of course. Well, bless you and thank you. <laughs> thank you. And happy birthday, Senator. <laughs> well, I appreciate you're that. Here. And I'll tell you, uh, your your support is not going to be misplaced because if I'm fortunate enough uh, to represent the Libertarian Party, I think I've got a shot. I can take on Obama. I can easily, and I can take on Hillary. Now we will have a problem with the media, the corporate media, but there are ways to get around that. There are ways. And we'll see what happens. But well, as I've, uh, I just got to say this: that the, with respect, the libertarian patriotic responsibility this year to save our country, and they've got to rise to that responsibility. And Neil, thank you. And Jacob, nice meeting. And I hope we'll visit some nice more. You too. Okay, great. It's been awesome talking to you, Senator Bell. Um, I do hope to at some point have you back on my show to talk more about your campaign. I was kind of just talking about mostly about direct democracy. We got a little sidetracked. Well, but that's the most important. That's the most important part of my campaign. Right. Let's not get apples and oranges mixed up here. 
what's important is to empower the people more important than me. Well, that's what I want to suggest, sir, is that I hope that regardless of what happens in this election, that you continue this fight, and I know that I will be. Um, The rest of my life. I've considered possibly running for office myself, and I would like to adopt a large portion of your platform as my own. And um, I hope that, uh, you know, people will be able to willing and uh, willing to open their minds and to look, you know, take another closer look at you. Um, There are there are some good candidates on the libertarian ticket right now. Um, I would have to say that I kind of followed you there to some degree. Um, And I'm glad that I did because I was able to meet some great people like Christine Smith. Um, I hope that in some way the two of you could work together because um, she's amazing and she's very good at being not compromising her principles, but also being able to talk with other people about their principles without being disrespectful. Yeah, no, no, I have great space for Christine. She's wonderful. Excellent. And, um, you know, in fact, in in thinking she's as close as anyone coming to me, that's right. And if you could do me a favor, uh, Senator Gravel, and um, say thank you to Sharon. She's one of your supporters who, uh, when she found out that I was having trouble getting to the convention, she, like, this is a waitress, and she donated $500 to make sure I could get to the convention. You are kidding. Well, Sharon, <laughs> thank you. And Sharon, Neil, you get me her address, and we're going to send a copy of an engraved copy of power. That would be the plan, okay. sir. <laughs> um, okay, for sure. And Sharon... Wherever you live, when I'm campaigning nationally, I will get into seeing you and uh, and sit at your table. Okay. Yep, that's the hope, and I'm looking forward to meeting you. And so is my wife. Um, I'm still a little bit short on getting the convention, but I'm a lot closer now thanks to people like Sharon. Um, uh, thanks again, Senator Gravel, for you know coming on our show and for continuing to do this. I mean, as you said, there are ways around the mainstream media. That's what we're trying to do here at Revolution Broadcasting. Um, just do me a favor and help get the word out because uh, my listener base is largely Ron Paul people, and I still love Ron Paul. He's my favorite congressman, but he's not going to run third party, so it's kind of a moot point at that point. I encourage people to know that you know at least my show. And we need the support of Ron Paul people who believe in liberty and freedom. And that's what it's about, and and rely on our imagination to make it happen. Okay, that's excellent. Yeah, well, yeah. Senator Gravel, um, I hope we can do this again. Um, no matter what happens, you know, I would still hope that you could come on and you know talk to us about. Oh, I will. I will. Don't worry about that. If I if I don't get this, I'll be a lecturer and a writer. It's just that I've still got some tread on my activism tires. No, I got it, and I've, I've been enjoying all of it. And like when you say you could take on Obama, I saw it firsthand. I mean, you really smacked around Hillary. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, that's, I, I, would, I would buy front seat tickets for that time. Oh, I would buy front seat tickets for that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, to give a happy birthday. Um, okay. Thank you for coming on the show, and um, I hope that your birthday present of an endorsement from B Radio and a couple of delegates who are guaranteed to be there to support you at the at the convention helps to make your birthday better. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, take care. You take care. Bye bye. Um, Well, we're down to the last four minutes right now in V-Radio. Um, take it that I have made some of my uh, chewits here at Revolution Broadcasting rather angry um, because they've been uh, spamming the show for qu- or spamming the uh, chat room with it, uh, for quite some time now. Uh, but one way or another, um, 
you know, I thought long and hard about this despite everybody's assumptions. I actually did think very hard about this before I made the decision. Um, and it really just came down to, uh, you know, I, I talked to the man. I got to know him. Um, I think that sometimes, like many other people, um, he can he has trouble articulating because he gets so passionate. But I honestly feel that he has, you know, our country's best interest at heart, and that is why I have given him my endorsement. And um, I hope that uh, the people that are out there listening would be willing to take another look at Senator Mike Gravel. What were your closing comments, Jacob? Uh, well, uh, about his, um, 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 how, do, how do you say, upcoming showdown with Hillary and uh, Mr. Obama. I would love to see that, you know. Right. And uh, if we can get the fancy tickets to that fight, uh, PTV, I'm... Uh, one who would really uh, uh, like to be there, you know. So, uh, <laughs> just yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a well-spoken uh, politician, and uh, I, I've seen how he uh, can carry himself in the, in the heat of battle um, uh, and in heat of debate. And uh, yeah, sure, he can he can he can breathe fire, absolutely, absolutely. So. And uh, I, I mean, as you know, I'm just a, a very big promote, proponent of uh, direct democracy. And uh, his system, you know, I mean, obviously it's tailored to, towards the American uh, society and uh, judicial system. So, uh, but anything that moves us in the right direction, um, yeah, I'll, I'll support that, of course, yes. Well... Um, I just have a little question. Uh, uh, obviously, you've talked to a lot of libertarians. How do how does the rest of the party view? Uh... Oh, <laughs> looks like we're going to get cut off. So ask me real quick. Okay. How, how, how is how is his me message taken by the rest of the libertarian movement? Well, I haven't heard any candidate who doesn't like the national initiative concept. They do like direct okay. democracy. Some of them like the idea of repealing laws more than creating new ones. I usually have to tell them, you know, you can create laws to protect freedom. You know, you don't have to create laws that are oppressive. You can make things like the Patriot Act illegal, like you just can't ever do this again. You know, so <laughs> we're down to our last 60 seconds. So uh, in any case, uh, I guess North Virginia Patriots is up next. I suppose uh, those of you who want to listen to people get really mad and um, flame me on the air, then that might be the place to go. Um, I apologize on behalf of Revolution Broadcasting for the behavior of Razor42 on the air on, in the chat room today. Um, and uh, but once again, to all of you Gravel supporters, uh, we loved having you. And um, to Blog Talk people, you can go and you can. For those of you who are new to this, uh, you can listen um, to this show that has been archived on BlogTalkRadio.com. Just do a search for V Radio and Mike Gravel. Thanks again, and um, this edition of V Radio is now coming to a close. I hope all of you have enjoyed the show. I will have Senator Gravel back later, and uh, thanks again. <laughs> take care. Okay, people, take care. Bye-bye.
Please. The voting system is flawed right now because you have to, you only vote for one candidate. You have to pick your, your, the candidate that you want to vote, cast your vote for and that's all you get to do. So what happens in this party system is that you end up voting against the person that you dislike rather than voting for the person that you do like. That's what happens in this voting system. Okay? Because uh, you can say, well, I, you know, I would vote for a libertarian, but I'm just wasting my vote. This is, the, this is the logic that people use. I'm just wasting my vote because I know a Democrat or Republican is going to get it. Well, that's so easily fixed by creating a voting system that allows you to pick to rank your candidates. So if we would do something like that, a risk Gravel or one of these uh, candidates would put an idea forth like that, because that would fix government overnight without any complications, with no downsides. Now, if somebody thinks they do have a downside to that idea, by all means, call in and let me know, because I, don't, I can't think of one. So they were talking, and I didn't get to hear all of it, and you had some questions. What were the questions, and how was it skewed? What wasn't asked? Oh, I would have to review the chat logs for that. I would just, I, you know, at one point Neil came into the chat room and said, does anybody have any questions about the National Initiative? I said, yeah. Neil, ask him, what are the downsides? And Neil wouldn't do it. He just wouldn't ask the guy. So, Mr. Gravel, what do you think the downsides to your National Initiative are? That's a legitimate question. <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't ask it. But did they, they didn't want people to think that there was downsides? I, there, yeah, Gravel goes around acting, and, and you should hear Gravel talk. If you didn't hear the interview, I mean, this guy is on such a high horse, and anybody who doesn't agree with him, uh, it's crazies, they're egotistical. I mean, he called so many names during this interview. Is he like the O'Reilly or like... He kind of is. He's a little bit like that. He's pretty arrogant. He's a little patriot. He came across to me uh, as pretty arrogant. Okay. Uh, in terms of anybody that doesn't agree with his ideas, uh, it simply uh, it supports this fascist regime and is, an, is, is a crazy, you know, or, or libertarians that really want their life. And he, he said, well, if you don't want to follow the rules of society, then you should go live in mountains and not be part of society. I mean, he says this kind of stuff. All right. If you promise to leave me alone, I will. <laughs> I said, and I said in the chat room, guess what? I already do. And every time I have to go into town for supplies, I have to risk getting pulled over by the cops. Yeah, you know, not exactly my idea of a free society. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> really. So, um, so, okay, and you know, the one thing I heard is what he claimed to be a libertarian for is because he believes in freedom. As long as you believe in that, you're a libertarian. Okay. As long right. as you believe in freedom with rules, right? And the real thing where you have to follow these laws. It's kind of like yeah, you can, do your own way. you can do it your own way if it's done just how Gravel says. <laughs> right. right, or just how the 51% say, really. I mean, he's okay with that. Gravel is okay with the 51% be, being able to vote away your life, liberty, and property. The 51% say, oh, we don't like you living where you live. We want that property for our own purposes. They'll do that. Right. If the 51% says, uh, we want you to wear red shirts every day, they'll do that. You know, if the 51% says, you know, you have to hold both hands on the stool. Let's, let's, let's take these driving laws to the extreme. You know, first there's no drunk driving. Then there's no uh, tired driving. Then there's no um, uh, cell phones. No cell phones. Then there's no changing the channel on your radio. Then there's no, you know, now eventually the 51% would say, oh, well, you have to have two hands on the wheel at all times. Right. <laughs> and you have to have your seatbelt on, of course. And, um you know, don't wear any hats because that could obstruct your view. And um, you can't buy SUVs because that pollutes the environment. Right. And so as long as the 51% populist opinion was of these things, which, come on, people, you know what happens when the media gets behind these, these fringe organizations uh, to support something that's politically correct. I mean, who's going to stand up and say, no, I want people to be dangerous on the road. I think they should be able to drive with no hands on the wheel if they want. 
I mean, who's going to get up and say that? Right. It doesn't work. <laughs> so when somebody comes out like an idea with like that, like you must have two hands on the wheel at all times, which I agree is probably a good idea, right? I hate to have with my knees. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we agree that's a good idea, though, right? Well, I, I, we can agree it's a good idea. Right. Just tell you about, uh, Should I be forced to by the government? I yeah. can't really eat my, my Big Mac and talk on the cell phone if I can't have to have two hands on the wheel about it. Right. Now, that's dangerous driving, right? We're not saying that we, that we want people to drive dangerously, but we're just saying it's not the government's job. <laughs> To tell us that we can't, right? Right, right. I mean, that. Or, or, you know, I mean, look, because I, I personally don't think it's, I'll even take it a step further, and this is the kind of argument uh, that Gravel and Neil have a field day with. And I don't care, have a field day all day, because I'll stand by my libertarian principles on this, okay? Uh, dangerous driving is not against the law. Right. Wrecking your car into somebody else is, okay, because you've now taken somebody else's property through your dangerous driving and potentially their life. Okay. Now that isn't so. You have broken the law when your dangerous driving hurts somebody else. You have not broken the law by driving dangerously, okay? And that's the argument that, that these guys seem to they just they think we're idiots, right? Well, we stand by libertarian principles. Here's my response to uh, them, as a matter of fact. Oh well, didn't come in. So oh well, good try. Work. Yeah, you know, I had it all prepared and set up, and then it didn't work out. Folly. But anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, that's. I think we covered about everything I really wanted to say on that. And yeah, I got mad in the chat room. And if Neil wants to, uh, you know, make it a personal thing where you know people aren't allowed to ever uh, express an emotion that they feel about a particular topic and that they're bad people because they do that, then fine. Call me a bad person because I got mad. You're not allowed to go into the chat room and oppose Gravel. I know that's part of the initiative. Oh, right. If you were the people voted that you can't oppose Gravel. That's right, and you have to kiss Gravel's ass. That's, now, I bet you that's in there. I bet you that's part of it. Buttercup. <laughs> Gravel, I mean, he even, like I said, one more time before I bash him anymore, if the, guy, if the guy's idea was simply that the people could have a referendum and veto any bill by Congress, I don't care how much I dislike him, uh, anything else he says, I would probably support him 100% if that was his idea, because I think that's an incredible, amazing idea. But it's, it's far more complicated than that and far more flawed than that. Um, well, Gravel does have the book out, Citizen Power. If you guys want to investigate it yourself and read into it, go ahead. I'm not sold on this. I, I oh, really I'm not sold at all. If you want to find out for yourself, go to the NorthVirginiaPatriots.com bookstore and buy the book. Yeah, exactly. We support, we support any liber somebody who claims to be a libertarian. We'll give them enough support to at least uh, make the book available via our website. Um, I've got to tell you something, though. Um, the guy rubs me all. I just when I see him, I just kind of like, so wrong. So Even when I see him, like he does, he puts out these videos on the internet. Have uh -huh. you seen these? Uh, where he's like dancing no. around, and he's got this one with the Obama girl, and I just look at him. And I, just, <laughs> I just start laughing. I mean, the guy, <laughs> I mean, he just personally just rubs me wrong. No offense to the guy. Look, I mean, got, no offense. He's got to dance with the Obama girl too. What? I would dance with the Obama girl too. I'm right. not saying that that's wrong. The guy's done some incredible stuff in his life. He's, he's, you know, he's done some stuff. Uh, looking out for the people. I believe his heart is in the right place. There's no doubt about that. He just rubs me wrong. He just does. He he does not talk about things in the way I talk about things. He kind of comes from more. Uh, and you know, I lump him and, and V Radio V Radio's host Neil into the same uh, boat where they just kind of talk about things from a different angle. That it rubs me wrong, and I, and I think Neil could say the same about us sometimes too, especially me. Right. So, um, you know, and Gravel does that for me. He just—it's just all wrong. It's all wrong. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, 
But hey, it was her show. He asked the questions that he wanted to ask, and oh, yes. I say I would have, I would agree. I would have been a little tougher on the guy. I definitely would have had uh, some tougher questions right. to go with that. Right. So, and, and you know, it is Neil's show. Neil has the right not to have me on for any reason he chooses. Right. Exactly. So if he thinks I'm mad at it, I mean, I did, I did, I did point out in the chat room during the show that I think he, uh, it was kind of a, you know, biased interview. There was no open debate. There was no debate whatsoever. It was a Gravel love man love session. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, the fact that Neil has is in man love with Gravel. I guess he's been working out for Gravel because not only did Neil have him on how many times and talk about him how many times, but here we are mentioning his name twenty times. Well, good. Yeah, no. Look, yeah. the guy deserves people to look at his idea. Absolutely, I have no problem with anybody hearing about Gravel. And I'm sitting here telling you, look at his idea and realize how flawed it is, and then consider if we're going to do something on a national a level like that, like constitutional amendments and the amount of uh, national work this is going to take, let's consider changing the voting system which, so you can rank your candidates. Instead of just uh, voting for one candidate and being done, you rank them. So you say, well, I really would like the, the libertarian guy to win, but if he doesn't get 50% of the vote in the next round, I'll go ahead, I'll, I'll support the Republican or I'll support the Democrat, whichever, uh, whichever you can tolerate more. Right. Um, now, in no sense, the two parties control this uh the system here, we're never really going to get to something like right, that. Exactly. Right, exactly. And changing the voting system, which takes all that overnight. All of a sudden, the representatives we put into government would not be a problem anymore. There's nothing wrong with representative government as a concept. There's something wrong with the representatives we currently have. Right. So this voting, changing the voting system would fix that. So I sure hope, I sure hope maybe this idea gets around to the right person. Um, and I sure will, you know, Neil's in a position to do it, too, because he's in with all these libertarian guys. And we thank Neil for all he does for, for the network and for the, sh the various shows on the network in terms of getting these candidates to come on the air with us. Right. He does a great job at that. So, uh, you know, but he's, he's definitely, uh, you know, he's, he's always got his ideas. And, of course, you know, the guy in that position gets to put their ideas forth first. So, but I hope that idea would get around someday. I hope that idea might get proposed to a guy like Ravel right. or other libertarian candidates. Well, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we have a libertarian presidential hopeful, Jim Burns, coming on the show. I think this is the last of our run of interviewing the uh, libertarian candidates, and hopefully we get uh, get some uh, feedback from our listeners on what, who they like the best. So we'll be right back after this, and we will give a call in uh, Jim Burns. Stay with the North Virginia Patriots. Visit our website at www.northvirginiapatriots.com. Are you ready to have your voice be heard? Do you want to be around thousands of liberty-minded individuals? What are you doing July 12, 2008? Ron Paul and the rest of the movement will be in Washington, D.C. to rally for peace, prosperity, and to restore the Constitution. Join us July 12, 2008 in Washington, D.C. RevolutionMarch.com wants to organize the largest peaceful march and rally in history and Dr. Paul is our keynote speaker. For all the updated information, go to RevolutionMarch.com. Join us in making this the loudest voice of freedom in history. Bring your family and make it a great educational vacation and join Dr. Paul and the rest of the freedom movement in our nation's capital. Are you 
Freddy be responsible for the content of your mind? Vigilante Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Open the freedom of vigilant population. Because in the end, my friends, only you are responsible. Oh, welcome back to the North Virginia Patriot Show. Uh, very quick break there as we get ready for uh, Jim Burns from the uh, Libertarian Party, presidential hopeful there, seeking the nomination of the party. We'll be calling into our show here, and uh, we'll be doing an interview. So, anyways, uh, before that, oh. Anyways, what was I saying? Before that, we were talking about uh, Gravel and the National Initiative. Uh, he's got a book out there called Citizen Power. You can check it out if you would like and see what he has to say. Um, you know, I like like we said, just not. I'm still not sold on it. Yeah, I didn't hear all the interview on the V uh, radio, but from what I heard, it's just the man still has not completely grasped the concept of libertarian values. Yeah, and, and you know, in comparison to a candidate like Christine Smith, I mean, this lady, wow. She had her libertarian values down. Yeah, and not only does she have the values down, but she's so uh, well-spoken about it. I mean, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when, it, when, a woman, when a woman gets fired up and yells and kind of rants, it's so much more, you know, swallowable, so much more digestible. It may be just you. I didn't look at it as a woman. I just thought she was... If a, guy just, if a guy got up, a guy libertarian candidate, and was so strong about all those opinions that she has, it just comes across as it's like he's a pissed off guy and he's mad at the world kind of thing. But for some reason, when a female says it, it's so much more swallowable to me. Sexist or something? It, it I mean, could be a sexist thing. I mean, I don't know. Because women, women are generally uh, much more accepting of social programs and much more accepting of, well, let's just all like, pool everything and, and share resources and stuff like that uh, to make a better community for us all. Now, that could be a sexist comment. Well, I mean, it, it's, a, it's definitely a generalization. Yeah. Not all women are like that. Not all men are not like that. So, but I'm just saying as a general statement, yeah, women tend to be more that way by nature, uh, at least in my study, research, understanding, experience. So um, I guess to me when I hear a woman saying, we don't need government in our lives, we don't need these government programs, we can do it on our own, thank you very much, uh, it's much more swallowable and digestible, and I think that uh, it would be a great message. I think Christine Smith uh, would be an excellent representative for the Libertarian Party on the na- and a national debate. Uh, yeah, I think she'd be good in the debate. I'm not going to say whether it's because she's female or the difference between male and female. I thought she, uh, it was quite obvious that she had the Libertarian principles down and she knew them and she believed them. And so, you know, that, that in my mind was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and she's very strong about her opinions, too. I mean, you know, she basically got it. I mean, she talks loudly. She talks very strongly. And she did that for um, an entire hour and a half yesterday on the North Virginia Patriots show. And if you didn't hear that interview, we welcome you uh, and, and uh, to go and, and check out our podcast because yeah. it's worth listening to. Check it out. We uh, have a caller calling in. I do believe that this is Mr. Burns. Um, caller from 702. Is this uh, Jim Burns? Yes, it is. How are you today? I'm doing very good. You, sir? No, no. Good morning. Good to complain. Nobody listens. I hear that. There's a lot of truth to that. I want to welcome you to the North Virginia Patriots show. Uh, my name's Brian, and my co-host here is Ray, and we thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, my pleasure. Thank you. So um, I've, I've gone over your website, and I know that you've got a couple of interesting stories here to tell about the Libertarian Party in Nevada and the IRS. 
Um, but before we get into those two stories, um, could you go ahead and um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I know they can go to uh, jimburnsforpresident.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I discovered the Libertarian Party in uh, September of 1973. Uh, by January of 1974, I was elected uh, elected state sheriff back then. We faced a, uh, a series of problems back then. On the ballot, it was a 5% requirement. That's uh, very, very stiff. And uh, we uh, were new to the idea of uh, political activity. Um, so we were faced with a dilemma. And also, we also had another factor. We couldn't uh, register to vote as a, as a libertarian back then. Uh, I have since, I'm sure everybody does, but uh, I was a very good lot of Republican back in those days. And so I was registered as a Republican. So we were faced with a dilemma how do you build a political party? And the way to build a political party is by running for political office. So I decided to run for Congress, which was a statewide office at that time. And, in order, and we had no money, we had no uh, resources, so uh, in order to get some attention, what I did is I legally changed my middle name to, to uh, Libertarian. So we read on the ballot, uh, Burns, Governor James, Libertarian. Uh, I didn't win the uh, primary, uh, but uh, uh, we did build on the party, and in 1975, uh, I ran for mayor of the city of Las Vegas, and I uh, used my middle name, I called it uh, Burns Libertarian, and just dropped the James altogether. And in that race, I came in uh, fifth in the field of nine, and that was the race that uh, Harry Reid lost, uh, one of the few races that he actually lost in this state. And uh, I was always grateful for that. I don't know if I had the influence on it or not, but uh, you know, I was in the race against Harry Reid. Uh, by 1976, uh, we, uh, we managed to get on the ballot. I was the first libertarian to file for office. I felt filed for Congress again. And uh, I ran. Um, we did a pretty good job that year. In 78, I decided to run for the assembly. And uh, I came in second in a field of three and I beat the Republican, which is uh, very rare for libertarians to do. Uh, in, uh, um, in January of 19... Uh, uh, 1980, I was convicted of uh, failure to file income tax returns, and for the next de decade, I had uh, uh, serious difficulties with the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, I ended up spending uh, about 15 months in jail over that and related charges. So uh, uh, it wasn't until uh, the 90s that I could uh, run for political office again. Uh, I uh, ran for uh, the Assembly again. This time, I uh, came in second in the field of uh, uh, three. Um, then I also ran for uh, Congress. Uh, in that race, I came in uh, third in the field of four. I managed to beat out uh, the former uh, chairman of the uh, Libertarian Party, of, uh, excuse me, of the uh, Republican Party in, uh, in Clark County. That's, the, that's actually Las Vegas. Uh, so I did fairly well in that race by Libertarian standards. And, uh, and now I'm currently uh, seeking Libertarian Party nomination for president. What, um, why would you, what would you tell our listeners why you would be the uh, best choice for the uh, uh, candidate for the Libertarian Party? Well, there's several reasons. But uh, one of them is only, uh, only candidate with real Libertarian experience running for office. And most of the candidates who are seeking office is the first office they've sought. And uh, that's... <laughs> 
you know, they don't know what they're really up against. And uh, the other candidates, such as Barr and Cabral, uh, I think is his name, Pruhowski. Yes. Uh, they run, uh, they run successful campaigns in the Republican and Democratic Party, but uh, they've never run as a libertarian. And I think they're going to be surprised what happens to them if they were successful in receiving the nomination. Uh, I don't know if your listeners recall, but Ron Paul was a former congressman, and uh, Ron Paul is a better candidate than, uh, well, he's a, a, a fairly good candidate, and he's not any better now than he was back then, so, uh, and he got less than one half of one percent. So I think that the, uh, uh, the you know, the well-known established candidates of, of other political parties will find it much more difficult than they believe. Now, um, the, the one thing the Libertarian Party has always had a problem with is exactly that, getting more than 5% of the, uh, the popular vote in uh, presidential elections. Where would your uh, plans be to um, obviously get more votes than just the uh, 5% of the popular vote? Do you have a plan for that? Uh, I don't think that I'd be able to do it, and I don't think anybody else will be able to do it. Uh, I'm going to run a campaign similar to the campaigns that were in the past, with no exception. I'm going to change, turn around the Libertarian Party and how it's perceived. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to affect the outcome of the election. Uh, I'm going to cause states that are swing states and states that are very close in their, uh, in their vote totals to go the other way. For example, in Florida in 2000, uh, Bush was separated from Gore by, uh, you know, less than a thousand votes. Can Libertarians get, uh, could we have gotten, uh, more than a thousand votes from George Bush. Yes, we could. In the last election, uh, New Hampshire was uh, separated, carrying uh, New Hampshire by uh, something like uh, uh, 9,000 votes. Can we get 9,000 votes, uh, Democrat votes in, uh, uh, in New Hampshire? Of course we can. The way you get them is you use direct mail and you go after the, uh, the side you wish to, uh, to lose. For example, if we were to go after uh, Democrat votes in New Hampshire, we would uh, use direct mail and go only, uh, mail only to Democrats and take hardcore libertarian positions on uh, issues like uh, either war or uh, drugs and talk about the decriminalization of drugs. Now, the DLA's really win the election with that tactic, probably not, but we can get uh, 9,000 votes if we mail through all the uh, Democrats and we and if we take those 9,000 votes away from the Democrats, then the Republican can win, and vice versa. You can do the same thing in, uh, uh, in New Mexico and uh, uh, go either way. We could take votes away from McCain uh, you know, and cause the Democrats to win the state. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm following you here. I mean, it seems like a, a more solid plan. Uh, most of the time we talk about the, the biggest fundamental problem with the Libertarian is exactly that. They don't appear to the moderate voters, and essentially what you're saying is you're going to go to the Democrat Party and hit the social issues that they're concerned about, go to the Republican Party and maybe hit the uh, uh, financial issues or something that they're concerned about. So you're just going to kind of play a little bit on each party? Okay, but there's one thing that I'd like to point out. Uh, the reason that libertarians don't uh, get media coverage and the reason they're not uh, you know, covered is because we don't affect the outcome of the election. It's not because of our ideas. Uh, our ideas are mainstream. Uh, the Cato Institute, and, uh, you listen to all the major news programs, and they'll talk about the, uh, from time to time, they'll talk about libertarian ideas. It's not the ideas 
made noise because we don't affect the outcome of the election. We're irrelevant. Uh, we're concerned about the horse race. What I'm suggesting is we adopt a new tactic so that we do affect the outcome of the election. So if they want to know who's going to win the election, they have to come to us to talk about it. And when we uh, talk about the horse race, of course, we'll also get to talk about our issues. We'll get to talk about libertarianism and how it, how it can uh, change the world. Okay, I, I, I see what you're saying there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, we're all for third parties becoming, um, getting a little bit more involved in these election cycles, and we hope that, that that continues to happen here. I do want to get into this story with you, uh, the, uh, the IRS. I was reading that on your website, and you said that, uh, I know you, you briefly went over here, you spent in the 1980s about 15 months in jail for failure to file income tax. And on your website, you talk about how you spent the 80s fighting with them, and now, you know, the 90s and beyond, they kind of leave you alone, and we leave them alone. What was the result? What kind of fighting did you do? Did you get any uh, results out of it um, as far as income tax? Did you determine um, what, what came out of all that? Well, for one thing, I'd like to explain what happened. And, and uh, when I became chairman, I went through it uh, uh, back in 74. Uh, January that year, I uh, did a lot of thinking and soul searching, and I decided that I was going to take on the uh, IRS directly. I don't know if you uh, or your listeners know who Carl Gray was, but he was a, a, a tax resistor uh, in the libertarian movement. He was very uh, influential, and I liked his stuff. Unfortunately, it wasn't very good, but <laughs> at any rate, uh, I decided to become, uh, you know, the file Fifth Amendment return. So uh, that went on for uh, for several years. My timing was actually perfect. If I would have won that case, I would have been governor of the state of Nevada. What happened was that right after uh, my case, there was a, a tax rebellion here in uh, in uh, in Nevada, especially in Clark County, which is Las Vegas. Uh, they cracked down on all of the dealers, um, car dealers and uh, crops dealers, and people who make their living by by receiving tips from uh, their services. If I would have, uh, if I had won that case, I could have led that movement. What happened was that they, the movement uh, hired a former uh, head of the Internal Revenue Service to represent them. Of course, he sold them down the river. <laughs> so uh, um, if I would have, if I would know, if I know now what I've known then, I could have won that case. But uh, uh, I don't recommend it for people. I don't think that uh, people ought to uh, uh, be involved in tax resistance unless they're. Uh, unless they're uh, educated, <laughs> I uh, uh, I got my education. The problem with being your own attorney is that uh, you only get one shot at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's, it's a learning process. But uh, I think I'll do better this time. But I'm not going to do it again because the risks are just too high. I don't like jail. Well, yeah, I can imagine that. I know I'm, uh, probably 99% of our listeners out there are probably applauding you both for fighting the IRS. There's no doubt that we have a very long-term, very libertarian-minded kind of uh, listener base here. So, I mean, my next question, and I, I we kind of, uh, we've had a lot of libertarian candidates on here. We've been interviewing them, and we ask them pretty much all the same questions. So, reading into that, I assume I can make the assumption that you would eliminate the IRS. Is that correct? If you became president? No, I would eliminate the personal income tax. The one problem that libertarians uh, have always been uh, uh, striving with is, uh, you know, trying to solve is how do you finance the federal government? We don't believe in taxes, you know, taking the property of some people uh, against their will, you know, against people who have rights. I suggest the way to finance the federal government is through the corporate income tax. 
Currently, uh, the corporate income tax raises about 11% of the national budget. Uh, I would reduce the size of the federal government by 89% and uh, finance the federal government with the corporate income tax. Now, the reason for this is because uh, corporations are not people. They don't have any rights. They're creatures of the state. They grant special privilege to some at the expense of others. And uh, uh, so, therefore, they don't have any rights. But with the, the money that they, uh, they receive, you know, when they pay in the dividends, if, they, if you receive a dividend from the uh, corporation, well, then that's not, that shouldn't be taxed.